I just came back from the salon. And for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time <laughs> with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells un. Believable, Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze's other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Roe. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andysgirls. Sign up today. 
The ongoing global pandemic has been so damaging to so many people financially, obviously medically, emotionally, and otherwise. And as a lifelong New Yorker, and by lifelong, I mean 10 years plus, and feel free to not do the math on that, I (laughs) have been really concerned about the vast number of small businesses who have been forced to close. And here at Andy's Girls, I wanted to bring some attention to some of my favorites and hopefully some of yours by starting an initiative here on Andy's Girls called Small Business Satchels, which are uh, companies and restaurants, places that you love to go to that we can bring attention to here on AG. Money may be tight for so many of us, but you know, a lot of these places have been here for us in the best of days. Let's try to be there for them in the worst, whether it's buying a gift card or even Instagramming and calling attention on social media to some of your faves, um, your support can go a long way. So the first small business satchel that I'd like to highlight is one of my favorites. It's a place called Pippin Vintage here in New York City, um, referred to as a true hidden gem. It's New York City's premier boutique for vintage and antique jewelry and more costume and fine jewelry and accessories, a shop filled with everything from $4 charms to diamond engagement rings from Georgian to Art Deco, mid-century and beyond. I am a jewelry gal. I've started my collection exclusively at Pippin Vintage. My favorite thing to do is to go into the store, walk down to Chelsea, go into the shop, and it feels like you're stepping into another time. It is a beautiful store filled with amazing, well-knowledgeable, and incredibly friendly staff, and the prices can't be beat. You can get a $4 charm um, while exploring for costume jewelry or buy yourself something extra special with some fine jewelry sparkle. Go and check out Pippin Vintage at pippinvintage.com. If you don't live in the New York City area, you can absolutely shop their social and their website or give them a call if they're looking for something specific. Also go to their Instagram page at Pippin Vintage for some beautiful, gorgeous delights. I don't know about you, but for me at a time in which you're constantly, I'm constantly trying to figure out what will make me happy and bring me joy. Some things as easy as putting on a ring that I look at and smile can make the difference in having a really great moment or a really enjoyable day. Um, And guys, I want to hear from you, your favorite small business satchels, um, a restaurant, store, or company that you love to frequent either in your hometown or from a trip abroad, wherever it is, email andysgirlsshow at gmail com with your first name and town, or if you'd like, uh, send it in anonymously, as well as the name of your favorite company, business, restaurant, proprietor, and why they should be considered for a small business satchel, a shout out or gratis ad on a future episode of Andy's Girls. And please note if they are... Um, a company, organization, business, restaurant, or bar owned and or operated by a woman, person of color, or family run. Um, I hope you'll join me in supporting your favorite as well as my favorite small business satchels and hopefully giving back to places that like Pippin Vintage to me means so much. Guys, I hope you check out Pippin Vintage at Pippin Vintage on Instagram and PippinVintage.com and enjoy this week's episode of Andy's Girls. 
I don't have an agenda, but I do love Google Cal. I'm pro choice <laughs> with antibodies. Multi layered, a multi layered, multi faceted political satchel. Is there <laughs> anything better? You guys, it's Andy's Girls episode 195. We're getting close to 200. The countdown has begun for a really exciting 200th episode that I absolutely have planned. Please slide into my DMs if you have any ideas. Um, You guys, <laughs> I'm so excited to have one of my favorite guest co-hosts back. You know her as the writer, producer, and host, as, as a writer, a producer, host of the podcast Pot Psychology. I feel like I fucked up your intro, but guys, no, she's fine. so good at finding receipts. She will let me know. <laughs> Please <laughs> welcome back Tracy Morrissey. Tracy Thank Morrissey. you. Hello. So glad to be back. I cannot wait to talk shit. Oh my God. I feel like there's so much for us to discuss. First off, as you referenced in your satchel, you had an interesting Christmas. Yeah, I got COVID for Christmas. My God, were you tested? So how? what was the, do you know what life, I mean, it's so hard to figure out even how a person contracted this. Like, oh, I know exactly how, how I got much, it. Oh, you do? Because some people yeah. try to trace it and like can't figure it out. What happened? And you don't have to give me, de- I mean, it's your medical you uh, know, no, it's situation. Fine. But. Uh, so my daughter had a cold the, you know, Mm. days leading up to Christmas. And I didn't think anything of it. She didn't even have a cough. She just had sniffles and like kids get sniffles. Mm. And we even called the the pediatrician and he was like, oh yeah, there's a cold going around. So, um, and then she was fine. Like it really was like affected her for maybe like three days or something. Um, Mm. and then on Christmas morning I woke up sick and, uh, I was just like, oh God, like, cause I think the worst of her sniffles was the day before Christmas Eve. So I woke up mm-hmm. sick on Christmas morning and I was like, yikes. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just this cold that she had and she gave it to me. And then as the day progressed, it got worse and worse. And then I started feeling like awful. Couldn't get out of my pajamas. It was like mostly like back pain, like really bad back pain and like a terrible headache and I had a low gray fever. So then, then um, my daughter's father called me and he said that, um, he was getting worried because I was sick and, you know, or my, my daughter Una had been sick and they were supposed to go visit his parents who are elderly, um, after mm. Christmas. And so he was like, do you think it might be COVID? And I was like, you know, I'll go get tested. Then he found out that the little girl that Una was playing with the Saturday before, um, he called her mom and was like, Hey, just like checking. Cause I'm just being, you know, like, uh, super cautious yeah super cautious like we're una showed up sick and now her mom is sick um have you guys been exposed to covid and then the mom said that she had gone out to that she had had people over for dinner the night before and that they just tested positive those people tested positive for covid she never even like told us which is like messed up and then she started like yelling at him about it (gasps) and then was like why didn't you tell me that people were sick and it's like you're the one that gave it to us lady like and we are calling you to let you know actually so that was annoying she ended up testing positive she was asymptomatic 
And um, so then we all went and got tested the day after Christmas and we were all positive. So then like, I don't know, like four days after the fact, like I I was starting to feel a little bit better each day. And then the fourth Mm -hmm. day I was like, oh, I think, I think this is pretty much over. And then the next day it like hit me so hard and it like took me out for like 10 more days. I couldn't get off my couch or my bed. Like I would just like go back and forth between my couch and my bed every day. I was confused about what day it was like, you know, and the week between Christmas and New Year's is always a little bit confusing anyway. You were like, oh, what day is it? Um, But yeah, it was really, really unpleasant because then it got into my GI tract and then it was just like (gasps) vomit and diarrhea and like, oh my God, it was, I was so nauseated. And then this cough, I have this like lingering, like hacking cough, but everything else is better. I was nervous for a little bit. Um, The city did send me a pulse oximeter. um, And yep, I have one of those. Yeah. So the first... There were a couple times it got below 95 and I was like, yikes. I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna have to go to the fucking hospital now. And then um, I just waited and then it went back up. So uh, my oxygen levels still though are not at 100. So like my lung, there's definitely like lung damage. Um, But it's like, it's at like 98, 99 now. Are you still testing positive for it? I haven't like, gone back. My daughter did. Okay. And she's negative and her dad is negative. Um, but uh, I have this at home test, I guess I'll do and send okay. it in. Um, but they told the city told me that I could leave. I could be around people on January 4th. Even though you hadn't they hadn't gotten confirmation because isn't it like you have to test negative twice? No, because you you aren't shedding. Thing? You're not um, oh, contagious okay. anymore. So, uh, but I didn't leave my house until God, I don't think I was around people again until this past Saturday was the first time I saw someone that wasn't my daughter. So, um, yeah, it just was really awful. Uh, believe the hype. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's not fun to have. And I was so careful, you know, and it's just like, but if you have like a kid with someone and like you're going back and forth and you know, you can't monitor like what, the, what that person's doing. It's like, you know, that's what happens. And it's so scary because no matter how careful a person can be, if you come in contact with a surface that came into contact with another person who came into contact with another person who was, you know, having a dinner party, that's how this unfortunately can happen. You know, like sometimes it feels like you know, you have to do as much as you can to prepare, keep yourselves, loved ones, and strangers safe, and you can still get it. I mean, yeah. and that's not also, to say that people shouldn't. You have to stay vigilant, but it's just to say that this is re- this is the the you know a pandemic. It's really really easy to get. I mean, it's you gotta do your level best to to stay militant. You know, and kids are carriers. Like so much for kids yeah. not being carriers. My other friend. Um, Will got it from his seven-year-old cousin. I mean, sorry, nephew. So, um, yeah, like people are getting it from kids. It's, it's, um, it's a, it's, I can't wait for this to be over. Did you have a fever? Yeah, but it was really low grade and only for the first two days. And then I didn't have a fever after that, but it was like still like, like awful. It was, ugh, God. 
I mean, the numbers right now are really tough. You know, I would just say to everybody, I know we're all, it's really, really, you know, difficult. I was having this conversation actually with my psychiatrist this week about, you know, the impact of staying inside for a couple months. People at a certain point feel like they've reached their breaking point where they're like, I need to feel like I'm getting a, a part of myself back. And that is when it's most dangerous. That's when you have to just kind of like push through it. Think of yourself as running a marathon and you're on like mile 17, mile 18, and you just feel like I can't do this anymore. You've just got to push through it. Maybe slow down your life a little bit, whatever you need to do to maintain focus and know that I do genuinely do believe that we are going to reach a point of resolution. I really, really do. I think it's going to be in the next several months, but I think we're going to get there and the vaccine's going to be distributed and And, you know, people are so focused on returning to life, but I think it's just a focus on, you know, getting those numbers down. I really think it's going to happen. We just all need to work together. And I'm so happy that you're, while it's, you know, of course I feel for you, I'm so happy that you aren't, don't have a fever right now that hopefully, you know, the cough will continue to go away in the next couple of days and you'll feel, you know, fully like yourself. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. I'm at like 98% now of me. Okay, that's good. I have a friend who is a long hauler. He still has really, really debilitating symptoms, and he's well over 200 days in. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was. he's in Atlanta, um, actually my former flywheel instructor, and he was on the news there, and it's like a whole thing, and he's had real, uh, real complications with, I think like heart stuff and Jesus I forget where yeah it's really tough and it's you know he's a, couldn't be a healthier guy and you know he's a flywheel instructor he does spin or was a flywheel instructor he does spin classes like throughout the week and it's just really complicated so I just want to you know shout out anybody who has a loved one who's dealing with this or is dealing with this themselves and you know we're thinking of you and sending you love and and um and I'm so appreciative that you can join me today, Tracy Morrissey. My God. <laughs> Lord me help too. us. <laughs> so were you able to, what were you doing to keep yourself, were you just going in and out or were you able to watch Bravo during this time? I, you know. I mean, the, you were able to go viral. <laughs> 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 well, that's like, because, well, the first day I was just like, oh, I'm just on the couch. I couldn't do anything. So I just started like look, looking into this Ilaria stuff. And then, mm-hmm. um. By the time it was like started really going viral, I like I just was like I couldn't like wake up. So I'm actually kind of glad I missed a lot of the craziness because when I came back to Instagram and I looked at like my message count and stuff, I was like, yikes. And I haven't even looked at my, you know, uh, whatever that like section of messages where like it's people that you don't follow or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at that because I think it's going to be too crazy for me to take a look at. But um. Yeah, it was that was fun. I I did, you know, I have to rewatch the Potomac part 3 of the reunion mm-hmm. because I watched that while I was sick and I realized I don't remember any of it. Like I was for totally the best. like Honestly, it's for the best. I, oh, it wasn't good. <laughs> It's not that it wasn't good. It was just, I think I was just emotionally drained by the end of it. Oh, yeah. Cuz really, Monique really brought it like in the first one. She did. And you know, what was helpful is that she came to a point of opening up and being vulnerable and sharing why the altercation itself really didn't have anything to do with Candace. What Candace inadvertently did without realizing was triggering some deep rooted 
memories for Monique of her father who mm-hmm. crossed some boundaries with her when she was younger. And um, in that moment, I think her body just snapped because it was like, you know, that sense in your bones when someone does something and it just completely triggers yeah. you and you respond. I think that, you know, in addition to a pretty tense relationship with Candace at that point, it certainly brought back some stuff with her. So I appreciate that. But I just there was some it's it's weird. You know, have you heard this stuff about the rumors or whatever scoop that production did a really generous edit for Giselle and she'd actually like lost her shit at a certain point was screaming like fuck you or something to Monique and they didn't include it at the reunion yeah I didn't hear that no yeah it's like I heard it was like well who knows and then I heard it from people who like you know have legit inside scoop and it sucks if it wasn't because I think it could have been helpful to see maybe like a little more of a even-handed edit and I don't know if that's because of Giselle's work on chat room or what but it would have been I'm sure it was right and don't you think it would have been because she has an extra outlet in which to like defend herself wouldn't have been better to include it because you know that she does have this like nightly show where she can say oh I was just like overwhelmed or defensive like she still it's like you're giving her two extra points like why not give her one because she'll still probably come out ahead it's in like, the sense that she's yeah. keeping her job. Well, it's like tough because now she's in this like weird um, gray zone. Like it's it's one thing to have that the woman from Below Deck on that show because she's not doing Below Deck anymore, yeah. right? Right, exactly. Kate Chastain. So it's like um, now they're like treating her. I mean, they always have to treat the women at the network as like talent relations. But now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we can't like have her pissed off on this other show um, or we can't have we, we can't have like acrimony with her because we have to make this other show with her. So it becomes like this other thing where then now like the like the housewives edit is compromised. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's my take on something I hadn't heard of until just right now. <laughs> I mean, I have to like catch up on chat room. I haven't. I'm like really, really, really behind. I've on never even seen happens. it. I haven't seen a full ep, or maybe I ha- I think I've seen like one full app and then I've seen some clips. But, you know, Porsche's on it and I don't think that's affected anything yet. Although, you know, allegedly there's some shit that comes up with like the, the Bachelorette, Michigas. Yeah, that we haven't experienced yet. So we'll see how that goes down. But I doubt that Atlanta would compromise their edit. And I also think Portia is really capable of defending herself. So why that would happen with Giselle, if I don't see it happening with like Hannah or and Kate is, you know, as you said, she's no longer on below deck. So it doesn't matter. Or Portia like that's tough. Like that's. Yeah, it's a weird. I don't know. I think I Potomac was a lot for me this season. W- what were your thoughts watching this season? Um, I loved it. I thought that it got a little tired, though, after mm-hmm. the fight. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't think that their trip was that good. Um, mm-hmm. I It just sucked that, like, they brought it to the level of, like, involving the authorities and everything because then they couldn't, like, heal and, you know, uh, 
be around each other again. I like when they can interact with each other. I didn't like having to see Monique just like doing solos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I have to say Karen's best season. I absolutely adore her. Enjoyed every minute watching her. Love that she got wasted on Fireball and CBD in quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is the trip I like to go on. So um I you know and she she just was great she was really open this season um more than ever before and I and it really it really suited her um but I can also see though why Monique would have been really pissed about the Giselle stuff like faking this storyline with uh Jamal Bryant um if you're putting like all your stuff out there and I'm and it sounded like Karen was kind of pissed too but Karen just didn't bring it up as uh flagrantly as Monique did Mm -hmm. um but like I can see why that they they would be pissed about that like behind the scenes like that's that's something that like across all franchises the women get mad at more than anything else it's like a common trope where they Mm -hmm. think that one person is not being authentic and not bringing their real stuff and then they're like bleeding like cutting themselves and bleeding for camera the camera and um you know showing their like legal problems or money problems or divorce mm-hmm. or whatever and um so uh I get it I get that there was like this animosity there and Giselle's also been you know kind of an asshole to people I mean she's real fun but like you know yeah it was maybe her time to be held to account a little bit I mean my question is how is she going to get out of this next season when it comes to the Jamal element? Or is she going to continue, quote unquote, dating him? She's going to have to marry him. <laughs> oh, God, no. That will not happen. That's not going to happen. There's no chance. I just don't even. Are they going to like, do you think this is, re- do you think it's real? Do you think she's really in a relationship no. with him? No. I don't. So she would put her kids through this. Because I don't think the kids know that it's not. It's very, it's all very, it's very like muddled and muddy to me. It feels dirty, although dirty, like the use of the word dirty feels like too negative to say. Like, I don't mean it in a highly critical sense. I just feel like it's just messy. It's sloppy. It feels sloppy. Yeah. That storyline. It's, I. I think that like uh, um I think that like they have an agreement and I think that she wants to be back together with him. I don't think that and I think that she is just willing to overlook everything. I don't think it's mm-hmm. like a love story situation mm-hmm. happening. I think it's more of an agreement and um I think that uh you know I, I don't know. I just it, did we ever see him like waking up at her place? Like like was he ever like I mean were they sharing a bed when he would come to stay it didn't I mean seem like it right no I think she was talking about like with the kids of like oh we could like be in Atlanta for a longer time and blah 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 and they recoiled you know I don't I don't know that I we didn't see that side of him I mean honestly even when they went to like family dinners on that boat and whatnot it didn't feel like there was a lot of natural affection between them it just felt like awkwardness and you're with your kids that you guys had together wouldn't that just produce like a chemical reaction of love in that moment if this is someone that 
you were saying, I mean, did she even say she was in love with him? Maybe I just assumed it. I don't it. know she did. I don't think she I don't did. I think she did. But, like, you're you're telling us, you are literally telling us that you are dating this person and want to be with them. Why aren't we seeing that? Why are you forcing us to believe it in such a defensive way? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You're not coming to us with any kind of emotional connection. It feels clunky it feels awkward and I really like Giselle I think she's really important to the franchise I 100% believe she's a shit stirrer I think it's part of the respect your villains category you Absolutely. know and it's, weird to, it's weird to think of her as a villain but like no, it's she, not. I she is a she's villain necessary. she's a gorgeous she's villain like, she's a gorgeous <laughs> villain she's a gorgeous villain that I empathize with in many ways and I'm also like I no choice but to respect like we need someone doing that kind of work you know we like need it there and she's much more um I would say dynamic and I think much less polarizing than Candace I mean Candace yeah. is a very very different di- type of personality and the skill set that Giselle brings is very different to Candace's Where I like that show like yeah, I like that Candace is is a is terrible at getting dressed mm-hmm. I mean I'm not sorry not Candace Giselle <laughs> I, I think that I hate I love that Giselle cannot put together an outfit like I think that that mm-hmm. is something that's needed I don't like the slickness of the Beverly Hills stuff where they like go so over the top and give these looks mm-hmm. I mean it's okay but like at the end of the day that's like really all that Erica was giving so uh, that's not enough for me I need I, I like I like and you know Giselle's is her outfits are messy her shoe rack was messy it was all like like strapping high heels like hanging off that like walmart shoe rack because that that i used to have which i know that's why i know it was from walmart <laughs> shout out to the bed bath and beyond shoe rack that i'm looking at on my <laughs> love a coupon um so question for you you just brought up erica jane you know i had this talk with ronald richards um and guys stay tuned to the second part of that episode for that conversation and you know ronald richards is this guy who this lawyer esteemed lawyer who um uh has become well known in the bravo community because he's uh devoted a lot of time and resources to covering what's going on with the Girardis and also translating it for an audience that doesn't necessarily know a lot of the um, legalese legal lingo. Yeah. And so that was really helpful. And I was kind of talking to him about his perception of um, uh, the role that reality TV has played in the mirage that the Girardis have created as well as, you know, whether or not it added pressure to continue or, you know, like make this hole that they dug for themselves bigger but you bring up the point of you know what Erica has brought is like the glam of it all produced to such like to the nth degree now we know that allegedly some of the funds for that glam may have come from stolen money how do you anticipate that that has is going to be covered you know on next season of BH they have to do I mean I don't they they this has to all be covered I do think that Erica is pretty calculated so I think when she released those like fake ass receipts yeah yeah I mean they're not fake they're real but uh, like ancient like she's been sitting on them (laughs) she's been sitting on those for a long time um that was her ripcord I guess um so I think that she 
release that on purpose because she wanted to discuss that on the show and she wants to discuss Mm -hmm. his infidelity on the show to you know make herself seem less culpable um I think that uh I mean that's just my opinion no, I, I completely agree with you uh and so I don't, I don't know like I I who knows how they're gonna do it on Beverly Hills I've been really disappointed in the past with how they've covered stuff like I like even the Dorit stuff yeah they mentioned it last time but like they didn't really like go like super into it um it, and they didn't they didn't do a very thorough job but I have to say that like Dorit stuff is just I actually I want to bring this up because I remember when we were in because I brought it up to you in a text when this was all happening but I was like remember when we were at BravoCon and we were walking from one location to the other because they're all they were all like spread out so far mm-hmm. we were with a group of people and I was like you know and we had just come from the Beverly Hills um panel Bullshit. Yeah, bullshit you know, panel. I was yelling. We you were, and I were screaming both yelling <laughs> because we were really, we were guys, we were really angry at the women not refusing to answer questions. So Tracy and I just started yelling. You're like, that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. So we're walking, we're walking between venues, and we were talking about, you know, because Dorit's problems had been like a lot in the news just then her um and and that that video had had leaked of like you know her being chased around the Bahamas or whatever oh yeah the pool thing yeah yeah yeah. and and so we were talking about that and I and I said I was like you guys you know Dorit stuff is has nothing on what's going to happen with Erica like Erica's stuff seems really really bad like there's multiple lawsuits and like you know, they said that they settled it, but then like what there's just like, there's new stuff that's coming out that it hasn't been settled. And this was before even more lawsuits came out. Like I could just Mm -hmm. tell that like when I saw the initial lawsuits, they were for, um, uh, Tom Girardi borrowing money just to operate his business. And that's never a good thing. If you have to borrow $5 million in an incredible economy to operate your business, like that's not a good, not a good sign at like these crazy interest rates that just screams Mm -hmm. desperation and you're broke so um yeah but then you know of course I didn't realize that it was going to go this far and they were going to be accused of actually stealing settlement money from like widows and orphans um and burn victims like shit like Mm -hmm. that so uh but there I mean this is we're talking like tens of millions of dollars I think Dorit's issue is like maybe like 2.5 million and that just seems like small potatoes <laughs> compared to and it's like and the Dorit stuff it's like gambling stuff yeah versus as you're saying like the family families of dead plane crash victims and you see that money because it's on Erica's hand like Erica has a Cartier Panther ring and it's a sort of a dynamic to what I think some of us are experiencing on Salt Lake City where Mary is showing off her clothing and because we know about the rumors and stories coming from her church that they are forcing congregants to remortgage their houses mm-hmm. and pocketing the difference and saying you'll go to hell God won't love you or mm-hmm. you don't love God if you're not giving me money and we're talking we're hearing her talk about her like blouses from Italy her son buying his girlfriend a Prada purse I've never owned a Prada purse in my life yeah I mean like I'm just not a Prada person but yeah I also haven't owned a Prada (laughs) purse same (laughs) 
I have had a designer purse, but like, but I bought it myself when I was in my mid thirties after I got a book deal. Like that's like, you don't like a 17 year old. I mean, that girl is the one that's fucking winning. Like some 17 year old girl that convinced her boyfriend. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, We want to meet her. We want to meet her and say like, congrats and teach us, teach us her talents. But with the Erica dynamic, you know, the Dorit stuff, it is what it is. And sure, it it sh- maybe should have been more examined and not just referenced in confessionals where they were able to drive the narrative or in some like clunky whatever with Camille, who is immediately buried. <laughs> the question with Erica is, who is going to push back against the narrative that I didn't know any better or it's all rumors and speculation, or my focus is entirely on, you know, whatever happens in the courts happens in the courts, but what's really painful is the breakdown and disillusion of my marriage. Like, mm-hmm. who's going to push back on that? I who's mean, going to tell her there's the same thing no she one. said to Denise? There's going to be no one to do that, which sucks. Um, also, you know, Eric is no Teresa Judice. She, I fully believe that Teresa was handed papers by Joe and she just signed them and she's like, I don't know, sticking her head in the sand. She's like, oh, he handles the money. Totally Mm -hmm. believe that that's what happened with them. Um, She may have known that there were some hinky things, but like, you know, everyone deals with like some, I don't think she realized the actual like uh, depth of it. Mm -hmm. Erica, there's no way. Uh, She's too smart. That's the thing. You uh, Bethany actually tweeted out when this was all happening mm-hmm. that you can't play, you can't be smart and dumb at the same time. Like you can't play smart and play dumb at the same time. Like you, it has to be one or the other. It's just so interesting to me that it was a real everyone again. Well, not everyone against Denise, but the vast majority against Denise and the timing of all of this. This is sometimes like you know, that karmic energy when you know that you are hiding something and this has been going on for so many years and you're pushing against someone the narrative that you know you would be fucked if they said to you, sometimes that circles back, you know? I mean, Denise has to be laughing her ass off. I wonder if, (laughs) I'm sure this isn't the case, but I wonder if a part of Denise is like, man, maybe I should have stayed on. Like, this could have maybe worked out in my favor. She should have. She should have. I feel like everyone, like, she was, I mean, I I get it. Like, she just didn't want to have to, like, deal. And her life seems like it's kind of nice. And, you know, that's that's the problem, too, with the Beverly Hills cast is that they all have money what they wanted was more fame so because like you know you can get more money you can't you can't really buy that kind of fame that the housewives Mm -hmm. platform can provide for you because erica did try because she started that music career before Mm -hmm. she was on housewives well before yeah so she tried and 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 then she just she really like you know catapulted took off yeah when she was on housewives so um you know, if it, it's with the other series, um, the other like uh, locations, whatever, cities, state, whatever, um, they're able to be lured with money like they they can bring them back, you know, with a big enough check. But it's mm-hmm. not really like that with Beverly Hills, which is frustrating. And also the women are getting paid bank on Beverly Hills. Hell yeah. It has to do with like union yada and sag, the sag after of it all. I mean, the amount of money that they're making, I do think is um, 
a legit amount of money. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like a drop in the bucket. They're being paid an enormous contract from what I've heard and, and read. Um, and for Erica, my God, you would think I'm sure a part of her is like, I need to figure something out that's not going to affect me negatively in court because I think she's going to need this money. As I discussed with Ronald Richards, it's like, this is new money. So Mm -hmm. depending on what happens with her, I think what he said, and you guys will know more when you hear the discussion in a bit, but I think that what he said was something along the lines of like, it's new money, so it can't be necessarily taken away criminally, but it's not communal property. Right. But from a civil perspective, when people are suing her, uh, in that arena, a hundred percent, it comes up for grabs and comes oh, yeah. up for play. And also, her legal costs are going to be astronomical. Like this, there's so many different lawsuits and so much money uh, that's at risk. And because there were so many different levels of fraud, and because he was bar, it's like I was talking to Ronald about the Ponzi scheme of it all in mm-hmm. reference to the Girardis and the fact that he was the idea of borrowing costs plus fees and like borrowing against even potential settlements that he hasn't even received yet for current clients who now have to find representation. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. It's a really risky game to play. I mean, in just in any business anyway, like just taking a business loan um, is really risky. Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's like a small business or whatever, um, it's, it's tough. So like to do it like at that level of like, Mm -hmm. you know, millions of dollars at a time is just, that's just, I don't know. Like it just seemed like it had doom written all over it. So you are multi-talented when it comes to investigative journalism. And (laughs) in that sense, I'm, I'm, you know, I like die for you. And in the sense of being able to find information and translate it in a way, and you know, I'm obsessed with your Instagram stories where you're able to like show and reflect the narrative with data backing it up. So you've done it with Jamila Jamil, which you guys know about. And we did, I think, a Patreon episode, like right before it was breaking, where we did like a deeper dive into Jamila. So you guys can listen to that on Patreon. And you've done it with Alaria Baldwin. Is there a Bravo or Housewives-esque scenario sitch that you would that you think to yourself like man I'd like to take a closer look to that or is there something that hasn't happened yet where you're like oh if there was this situation that would be really interesting to me I mean I would like to look more into the Erica stuff like Mm -hmm. just I mean I just did those text messages like real quick like fast and dirty like before going to bed one night <laughs> Love that. but like My favorite kind. yeah like the Erica stuff I just did those text messages fast and dirty but like I do think that there's a lot there and that's gonna like more is gonna come out I think that this is gonna be something like how Teresa's case started off as really like a civil case where you know Joe's ex-business partner was pissed at him and then he went and talked to the feds and it took like a good what was it, like five years at least maybe even more maybe like eight years for that all to sort of unravel so um because I think that all started really I think after like maybe the first or second season of the show aired with his stuff with his business partner and then I think by the third yeah yeah because by the second season they were in trouble 
they filed for bankruptcy. And then it turned out the bankruptcy was a sham. They they got Fraudulent in trouble for way. yeah bankruptcy fraud, and then all this other stuff came out. So um, I think we might be on in for a long road with the Erica stuff, especially because you know uh, Tom is a lawyer, so he's gonna be able to just like keep batting it around, um, pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back, probably until he dies. That's what I'm thinking because he's not a young man. Um, I mean, he's 80. He could live another 20 years. How, is he 84? How old is he? I think he's in his early 80s. I don't think, which is like, you know, at this time and age, that's that can be considered relatively young. I mean, he could live um, he, another 20 years. He is now saying that he is, um, his brother has filed a declaration in court. He's 81, filed a declaration in court uh, in his involuntary bankruptcy case brought by creditors claiming that Tom is suffering from short-term memory loss and needs a conservatorship I mean, which the judge has allegedly not enjoyed yeah you know, I, I, that as a fun little screams bullshit to me yeah it's like you know when I was in the Lion King at 12 and I thought I was like the shit and it's like you know what you know you did a good job you did your very best but I don't know that this is like at the level that you think this is. Like, you know like shout out to all children's theater you're putting on a fun little play for us and I think that's great but I think we've reached the end of that act um yeah the short-term memory loss and like the fact that he was still able to, you know, work on cases until he forgot to answer his phone and, like, locked the door to whatever shtetl he's currently staying in um, is fascinating. Um, I guess it's like a wait and see. Yeah. You know, I'd love to I'd love to see a deep dive. I think that, like, 100 percent needs to happen. I'd love to see you do a little investigation. And I'm curious for you to listen to the Ronald Richards conversation. Yeah, I want to hear it. You'll get a kick out of it. If it, if this were going to, like, trial, like if. If and when this goes to trial, I would love to watch it. Um, there are like a couple trials I have my eyes on. One's not. Oh, one does kind of involve. Um, it's a sort of Bravo adjacent. That girl, Emily Gellis Landy, who. Um, Tracy. <laughs> who went after <laughs> Teddy Mellencamp's, you know, diet thing. Yeah. And then and she was like on a bunch of different crusades uh going like just really just like going after like soul cycle and like some like other stuff like arbon emily was yes and then this other diet called f factor which i never even heard of any of these mm -hmm. like those other diets like that's just not my world i'm not involved in mm -hmm. that stuff i don't care about it um i only got interested because of the teddy stuff and then this and then i had like a a run-in with emily because then she like accused me of doxing her which was like so defamatory because like I would never first of all ever do that to anybody I've been doxxed before and you know as a journalist who covers like you know uh pro-choice stuff and um I and, and you know uh sexual assault and things like that so mm -hmm. that it that it's really messed up that she would even accuse me of that and I think she's too stupid to even realize that like that is something that like you should never say about a journalist and or that like you know I I you know do prac like I have ethics when it comes to that kind of thing and so it was really really offensive when she said that I doxed her um but that story I then I got hooked into the story because 
then all these other different weird elements started to happen. And then she's getting sued by this woman who has this F factor diet. I'm absolutely, yes, I'm absolutely going to be attending that trial when that happens. Wait, going to trial. You're like attending in person. Like you want to show up and like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I want to cover it. Yeah. I want to cover it. It's so fascinating because there are all these like side players involved and there's all this like catfishing. It's like this like really crazy story of like, you know, uh, women from like Great Neck, like affluent women from Great Neck and the Upper East Side who like are being awful to each other on social media. So um, I don't I'm I'm in, you know, I don't know if the courts will be open by the time and the motion to dismiss. They have to show up for court for the motion to dismiss in, in March. Um, I don't think it's going to get dismissed. I think it's and then it's actually going to I think this is going to go to trial because they both are intent on fighting this thing. And I think and it's Tanya gonna, is suing Emily for defamation or something and or? harassment. She made forty five hundred Instagram posts Sorry. and stories within 70 days and did 12 okay. hours worth of videos talking about her um and doing interviews Honestly, and if stuff. only i had that kind of energy i know no that's a whole season of game of thrones no choice of which i've seen like five minutes i i i mean but the the stuff that emily was able to raise awareness for this oh god i, I don't yeah the, the, there were some fun surprise ingredients, as Teresa would say, <laughs> about the F-Factor diet that included, I'm going to fuck this up, guys, and actually, Tracy, you would know more, but like mercury kind of stuff that people didn't know that caused a lot of severe and, for some people, long-lasting um physical harm like there were people who said that they lost pregnancies after starting that diet who were unaware of what was uh, of the potential reactions that could take place and who contacted the company and or you know posted comments about the safety concerns who were summarily ignored until this stuff started happening when when Emily you know got information and amplified it this is where it gets fun the pregnancy miscarriage story was fake and but it wasn't there was there was a woman who lied to like create a, but wasn't there weren't there other people no the pregnancy okay, story okay tell me more tell me um more. and then now it brings and th- this is the thing is that like yeah she did raise concerns and i think just generally about diet culture in general i think it's like so shitty also the thing is is like okay you buy a powder a powder's not going to fix your life like that that's what really needs to be like addressed like about how like this sort of mm-hmm. about how advertising and marketing and that kind of thing and influencing um affects the psychology of women that's mm-hmm. that's really like the issue here it's not mm-hmm. just this one evil powder it's an entire like billion dollar industry so completely agree um but it's it's turning out because i've been following this i never stopped following it and like so now a bunch a bunch of women are like yeah actually like i was worked into a frenzy and i and you know i accused them of this stuff and i stopped taking the powders and i still have these like you know the issues weren't related there's like a lot of that happening and then there's a lot of like oh they think that maybe maybe a lot of the complaints that were going to Emily were actually were written 
by the same woman who faked the mis- miscarriage story to fuck with Emily. Like you wouldn't even believe the twists and turns that this thing has taken. It's so fascinating to me. Um, it, there are all these like different hate accounts that are aimed at Emily that I think that this one woman is behind most of them, not all of them, but most of them. Um, I have some evidence to that. But the thing is, is that like what was problematic about what Emily did other than like being a bitch to me um, was that, you know, uh, she kind of like diluted her own activism or argument against diet culture by not like verifying and fact checking these things because then it just like turns the whole thing into like oh well it's all a sham you know what I mean like it's the same thing with like what happened with Rolling Stone and the Title IX stuff when um Mm -hmm. that woman you know didn't do enough fact checking about the the sexual assault case in college and um it, it doesn't it doesn't just hurt the person who is reporting on it. It hurts the cause. It hurts like the, the victims, the, the, you know, the, all of those women who ha- had title nine claims that, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, of course women do lie about this stuff. So you have to be really careful when you report on that kind of stuff. Um, it, you have to just take really great care to make sure that like, you know, everything is like buttoned up. Otherwise it just mm-hmm. <clears throat> undoes all of your own work. So, mm-hmm. Um, but that I'm fascinated with that stuff. I mean, it's something, you know, I don't have a ton of info in it aside from or, or memories of it aside from when it went super viral. So, I mean, it, it is a little bit of a wait and see. It is interesting, though, that um, that because that the person who amplified the Tanya stuff had also done so with Teddy in a way that was, I think, incredibly helpful because Mm -hmm. so many of us had no idea of what it meant to go quote unquote all in. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The, the line between housewives and influencers and the idea of amplification and vetting is also, you know, very connected, I would say. Um, And and, I would say disordered eating and housewives. Mm -hmm. Uh, totally across yeah. the board. Um, mm-hmm. that one, one of the things I actually love about Atlanta coming back in this like, you know, pandemic situation is that they all, cause Atlanta, they like will eat on camera and the other cities will not do that. And I think I find it so annoying and I love that about Atlanta and I love that they came back and they're like, well, I gained 30 pounds. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, and that's everyone, you know, open about it. I yes, know. It's like you're not trying to hide from yourself or your own journey or your own impulses or your own way of coping. And there was like a fucking meme that went around. I forget, like towards the end of the year. And I'm going to completely butcher this and fuck this up. But it was something along the lines of like you are doing the very best you can at surviving a pandemic and however you need to make yourself feel good or to feel safe is okay. As long as you're not putting yourself into like physical or mental um, danger, you know? And so for can honestly, I've watched, obviously I watch every episode a hundred times, but watching candy, pick up that plate of pasta and just like <laughs> smile to herself and be like day after man day after pasta is where it's at and then have her be so honest in the confessional and be like yeah my kid's going away to school I'm really sad about it I'm sad I'm not going to be there for her 18th birthday am I eating my feelings I absolutely am like Atlanta 
the vulnerability of it all while still maintaining a sense of humor Mm -hmm. and the layer of honesty that we so many of us feel in watching Atlanta it's I have so much appreciation. It's so relatable. It's so relatable. And it's, and it's, it's um, a relief because you look at some of these franchises that, that, that where these women probably it wouldn't be honest of some women to be honest in that way. They're not honest necessarily to themselves or they have different ways of coping. It just so happens that it feels like Atlanta is speaking for all of us absolutely in a way that's, really appreciate it and then also there are still complications like Cynthia's wedding journey yes which can speak to us in a way that isn't necessarily as great (laughs) (laughs) um what do you think of the what what were your thoughts watching Kenya and uh all of everyone on ATL the Um, party um, the whatever else I'm two episodes behind in Atlanta. I'm going to catch up this weekend. I'm excited to like have that me time to do that. Um, but I, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I really love those women. I do think that this season is a little bit depressing just because it feels, you know, the production values on everything are different because it had to be made in a different way and they're unable to like have fun the way that they used to. So um, and I think also, well, we'll see because I'm sure Kenya won't be holding back much, but like, um, and I know that she does get into a thing with Portia, right? Yeah. There's a lot of tension between Kenya and Portia that, um, is unfortunate, but also understandable. And, you know, this week there was a surprise engagement party that Kenya, because she knew how the women felt about her, had to pretend was being planned by Candy in order to get people there. And they also had this like little joke that by it was an event for Biden. So Cynthia and Mike got so excited because they're like, oh, my God, we're going to an event for and we're going to get to meet Joe Biden. This is so exciting. (laughs) And it ended up being like an engagement party of Kenya's Mia Culpa saying, like, I'm so sorry I fucked up your proposal. Um, Mazel Tov and getting married. Um, But there is definitely some tension between Kenya and Portia because Portia's sister threw a surprise um, you know, essentially like an appreciation moment for Portia saying, mm-hmm. so appreciate the sacrifices that you've made and, and what you've done to raise attention and awareness for Black Lives Matter. And Kenya was upset because she was disinvited. And, you know, so Kenya had this like super awk um, engagement situation, you know, that Portia showed up late for and they had some like passive aggressive yada yada back and forth. And yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of strangeness circling their friendship that will probably deepen as the season goes on. Well, I imagine that some of it must have to do with the fact that Portia has been so vocal about Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. as the other women were too. But Kenya was silent during that. Silent. And I I didn't understand it. Like and I'm sure that there is there must be some kind of undercurrent there regarding that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people respond to things and and you know use platforms in different ways. And Kenya having this strange critical dialogue with Candy where she's critiquing how Portia has used her platform 
was a really awkward moment. And it also does just prove Portia's sister's point of like, this is not someone that should be at the event because she's not really here to celebrate you. And, And this isn't like Lauren had no idea that that conversation had taken place in that point. But it does in, you know, hindsight, I think, back up Lauren's case that Kenya is not supportive, you know, that they had at one point a little bit of an understanding of each other and a mutual respect, you know, especially when they were both new mothers. Um, but that that goodwill journey that tour seems to have ended. Yeah, that's done. And who knows how much Nini's, you know, played a part in that, certainly last season, you know, at the tail end of last season. Yeah. Because Portia was so closely aligned with her. Feels like that's carried over a little bit. Yeah. Um can we pivot for one second? Oh my God, let's pivot. Let's do a pivot. <clears throat> let's pivot, Tracy Morrissey. I've we been pivot. obsessed with, I mean, yes. obviously, like, I can't, I, I, I've been very distracted the last week because of, like, the Civil War <laughs> part two mm-hmm. that's happening in America and the attack mm-hmm. on the Capitol. Um, I have been periodically checking in this past week with uh, Ryan Michael Veith, Tamara's son, Ryan. The worst, the worst housewife's child, right? He's the worst one, right? Out of anyone, out of all of the children. I feel like there's somebody worse than him. Than him? Uh, of the children? The list. Nobody complicated on New York. Uh, Miami, we're not going to talk about. Um, DC, nobody complicated. Beverly Hills, nobody complicated. Orange County, Ryan. Ryan and then like Gina's son Nobody that like was rude to her. Which Gina? Oh, Gina Keogh. Yeah. Um, nobody but else likes Ryan is the worst one. Ryan is the I worst feel like one. There's another nightmare child. I can't remember who it. Nobody in New Jersey. It'll come to me literally in six years. But anyway, what what has wonderful Ryan done for um investigative journalism and, and the goodwill of America? So. I had not real. I knew that he was very like Trumpian and whatever because that was you know a storyline last year. Plotline. Um, I did not realize that he was so QAnon, like Mm -hmm. deeply. All right, so I also I knew that QAnon was like these like wacky ideas or whatever. I was really in the same way that like um, Charlottesville made me be like, oh my God, these like plain clothes people are Nazis. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Um this the Capitol thing made me really dig into like what the hell QAnon really is. Um mm-hmm. do you know like what it is? Like yeah. what they say? Yeah, it's compar- conspiracy theorists and there's a really fun thread of anti Semitism that goes throughout it and the idea that like people in Hollywood are um Hollywood and liberal politicians, children, yes. or something to make them stronger. Which, in, yes, I mean we prefer vitamin C, satanic one. rituals, and that they're. Who do mo- we think we are, Army Hammer? Honestly, the Army Hammer thing happened, and they were probably like, "Gotcha." I know. I'm sure. Them. I'm sure. But they, but they say that they, they just they call everyone a pedophile. Like anyone that doesn't like agree with their thinking is a pedophile, and that Trump is going to be the person that saves all of the children who have been kidnapped and being molested and murdered. And he has to do that in his second term. And John F. Kennedy Jr. faked his own death and will be returning f- as Trump's vice president for the second term. And I mean, I'd love to see it. I love JFK Jr. Very cute. Justice for George, a great magazine. 
Ryan has been tweeting about it, like about the JF, I mean, not tweeting, I'm sorry, Instagram about JFK Jr. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Just all of these like wacky ideas and and violence. I mean, he's like, and he keeps like implying that something bad is going to happen on the 19th or the 20th. And well, that I mean, I think a lot of people can agree with that. Unfortunately, yeah, and and I mean, his stuff that he's saying, like, it's just, it's wild. He's like tweeting about how Beyonce is a Satanist because uh, she wore horns one time. It's, I mean, not tweeting. I'm sorry, Instagram. Um, you know, the Pepe stuff as usual, but just like tons of like literal uh, things that are completely factually inaccurate, and on almost every single one of these posts steve lodge is there agreeing with him supporting him uh sticking up really surprising i mean it's unfortunate but like ryan is a troubled guy like how much is it really i tamra is no longer on the show ryan's a dark guy who is has a lot of examples of the fact that he's not you know doing well in his life's Mm -hmm. journey yeah and people use whatever they can as an outlet to feel heard to feel um safe or secure or the or the exact opposite the reason that things aren't working out in my way is because of this or in this way I can help bring justice to a group of people since you know I can't do that personally for myself you know it's it's I mean, he it's seems like a prototype of these white guys who feel disenfranchised because uh, because black people are having more of a voice. <laughs> like he's he just there. There's this like white supremacy that's like bubbling beneath all of this shit. And I I guess I didn't realize how like close to the Bravo universe the QAnon stuff was. It's well, I, so yeah, there's several wacky. housewives who are Q. I mean, Lydia's QAnon, Gretchen Rossi is QAnon. This woman, Sarah, who is uh, uh, purported to be a friend of on Housewives or something more. Oh, oh Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, yeah. She was at the QAnon. Capitol. She was at the Capitol. Siggy Flicker yeah. how, wasn't there, but pretended she was until how, she realized she could get in trouble. I know, exactly. But how can Siggy sit with the fact that? There are that she that she's elbow to elbow with these anti-Semites who are, you know, uh, like uh, white supremacists, like but but very, very um, specifically anti-Semitic Camp Auschwitz, like just disgusting people. Like how how do you think you're on the right side when those people are on your side? I mean, the example that I would give is how do you feel like you're as a Jew? I would say how are you acting in diametric opposition to the United States um, uh, Holocaust Memorial, which is located in Washington, D.C., which I've been to several times um, and has put out a statement um, expressing horror um, at what happened on the Capitol uh, and specific to many, many acts of anti-Semitism that took place. Like, so if I was Siggy Flicker, I would think, you know, I come from a family of Holocaust survivors and have also lost family in the Holocaust. And I am now uniting myself with people who are both Holocaust deniers mm-hmm. as well as anti-Semites. Like, how do you look <clears throat> at the museum, uh, the, the Holocaust Memorial in D.C., um, 
and say, I disagree with you. You know, it's that's tough when you say like the an institution that exists in which to remind people never again and you ostensibly have to now say that you believe that the Holocaust Memorial is fake news. That's a tough line to, mm-hmm. you know, to cross and, and try to come back from. But you can't make sense of it. It just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Like, it, it just there's no way to. And and the dark underbelly of it is, yeah, there's going to be a lot of threads connected to different kinds of reality TV. And and, you know, Housewives is no exception. You know, it's well, I'm glad that these but- people aren't on TV anymore. The ones that believe in it. Yeah, and the ones that are are like tangentially related and people that filmed with them on Salt Lake City like Whitney have come out very strongly and said that they don't agree and they think that what happened to the Capitol is disgusting and ridiculous and they um, do not align in any way with those morals and those ideas. And I do want to pivot a little bit if I can to get your thoughts on Salt Lake City because having an exceptional season, one of my favorite seasons of any franchise of all time in the context of like new housewives. Yeah. Did you watch this week's episode, which I thought was just beyond? No, the last one I saw was hip hop golf. (laughs) Okay. So so I have to catch up. Yeah. So this week's episode covered in many ways the fallout from the golf event and Jen's frustration at um you know Jen's frustration at Whitney for essentially I think in Jen's mind saying you got me to this point where I crossed the line and while I have a lot of frustration and anger and 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 angry at myself for crossing it it wouldn't you are to blame for lighting that match And Whitney's response is like, I was doing it with the best intentions. What happened happened. And then Heather's in the middle saying, listen, Whitney, however you may feel, we have to acknowledge that Jen is in like a real piece of pain. So they came to some to like an understanding in these really odd looking dirty tubs in the middle (laughs) of nowhere that took them three and a half hours to get to. Um, which was a nice moment and another indicator that Heather Gay is like a literal angel sent from heaven. And the episode ends with a really wonderful conversation between Jen and Coach Shaw where he's saying, listen, I was angry at you. I didn't talk to you for a couple days because I was really frustrated at how you've been using alcohol to self-soothe and yet what happens when you drink is you explode and Jen is saying you know what I haven't said this out loud before but the reason I feel like I turned to alcohol and then to anger is because I'm actually angry at you because you weren't there for me when my father was dying in the hospital I was alone to make all these decisions you weren't here for me and I'm still in a lot of pain and because she hadn't discussed that with her husband and because her husband wasn't there for her literally in those moments it's just been like a fire that has been building and getting hotter and stronger and deeper and uglier and Jen has allowed it to be released when she has you know alcohol as the vehicle where she gives herself permission to feel the anger and frustration she just directs it at people and conversations who aren't like those are not the people to take responsibility for the anger that she feels about you know toward her husband that's a conversation for her to have with you know 
Coach Shaw himself. Mm-hmm. It was really like his reaction to it. I watched it a couple times. I was so inspired by how emotionally vulnerable he got and how he heard her. He let her talk. He took it in and he said like thank you for this like we haven't had this conversation before I didn't understand your behavior because you weren't sharing with me why it happened but I do now like now I get it like now they can start doing the work which they couldn't do before because it was only coming to him in waves of emotion without any understanding or her own vulnerability you know it felt like she was afraid to to open up to him or she was too angry to like she didn't want to allow herself to communicate these things that you know were incredibly in that had an incredible impact on her um was she only tough like has she never had blow-ups like this before like because we we don't get to see it because we you know mm -hmm. we haven't we're just coming into this now but like was she not fiery like this like prior to her father's death no, I think she always has been. The, I always look at Heather's reactions to it, and Heather seems pretty used to this happening. Yeah. I think that Jen is kind of highly combustible. I mean, I have a satchel of gold, and as you guys know, satchels of gold are listener of thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns. And I have a satchel of gold from Stuart in Nottingham, UK, about Jen, where he says, "Jen, a Jen thought. Yes, she has been extremely performative in self-editing, the glam squad, etc. But the real Jen is showing. The multiple scenes of Jen in bed, not in full glam, clearly with a lot on her mind, is the true Jen. I actually find it interesting to see that the performance side of her is not just for her, for us, but for herself to make her feel better as to what is going on in her mind and life. I do think her blow-ups at the parties are really her, though, based on what Heather said, as well as I think Jen being concerned at being portrayed as the villain. It's what Erica needed to do on Beverly Hills uh, last season. We want to see behind the glam, and it just never happened. Mm -hmm. I mean... Points are being made, you know, <laughs> it's like I the, the idea that Jen exploded at Whitney because she was thinking to herself, the narrative that's being created is that I am someone to fear makes sense to me. I hadn't considered that element of it. So shout out to Stuart that that does the layers of this make a lot of sense. But it was also a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy. though, that she you know, was like, I'm not scary. And then like throws a drink across the bar. Like, I think people are just scared of her blow ups, her reactions Mm -hmm. like that. That's Mm -hmm. what they're, that's what it is. Um, But my main thing with Jen and my thing is to like, I only dislike housewives if they're boring and if they're not bringing enough to the table. So I have no issues with Jen having earned her spot on this show. But just mm-hmm. as like as a person, I feel like she really showed who she was when she talked shit about Meredith's marriage. That oh. was like not cool, you know. And, you know, that's only just now starting to come out. And it is wild to watch Jen unload on Whitney and say, 
essentially you are damaging my life and my marriage because my husband won't talk to me sidebar about my own behavior and not necessarily (laughs) yours because even though you said something I still am responsible for my own reaction and yet so you look at like what Whitney says and Whitney is saying to her you know I was saying this to you as a friend like maybe it didn't come out right and maybe I didn't choose the same time and place but you have to understand that my intention was to support you and so that you weren't surprised by this compare that to what Jen is doing with Meredith which is like listen you didn't defend me as much as I would have defended you against Mary so I'm going to take my revenge and my revenge is spreading the word that you are lying about your marriage and maybe you guys have some sort of understanding or deal or you're cheating on each other or whatever else but I'm gonna share secrets or or quote unquote secrets in quotes with a wink that there's something nefarious going on and plant the seed in other co-stars minds for it to come out on camera. Who is the person who's being more focused on harming a family (laughs) or destroying a marriage? Whitney, who's talking about these women say they're afraid of you or you for coming out as like hard as you possibly can with saying Mm -hmm. that Meredith's and Seth's relationship is a lie. Yeah. It's not like that's just not a friend. That's not a friend. And when I'm curious for when this is going to come out where it's Meredith, who's like the queen of I'm disengaging, which P.S. is like such a great response. and something that I've had like little Oprah aha moments in my head this week where I'm like, you know what? I need to disengage. Like I'm disengaging from this person. I'm disengaging from this energy. Like I love that idea. It's of, like, such a good ownership. Own too because people that just would that infuriates people because then and then they like spin out from that yeah because what they want is for you to feel the thing that they are trying to get into seep into your body like the factor of uh, energetic toxicity of toxic energy but with Jen and Meredith it's like I'm really curious to see is it going to take until the reunion or is this going to happen sooner than that when Meredith is really going to confront Jen or be at a dinner where some sort of confrontation is raised of like, you said this shit about my family. Why would you try to harm me like that? Like what you're doing is actively trying to harm me and push me away from our friendship because you're upset that I didn't stick up for you in the way that you think you deserve. So you are going to punish me for that and make me feel bad and make me feel guilty and make me have to defend my marriage, which P.S. I've never asked for you to do yourself. I I don't know why Jen didn't just let Mary hang herself. Like, why did she like that? Because she turned Mary into a victim really is what she did, like a victim of her rage. Like Mary, you know, is you know, Mary's got some like shady money things and is involved in this church. And it's like, just let that play out. Um, Yeah. So she said something rude to you. Let that stand. People could judge, you know, whether or not that was rude. I also don't know if it was like so rude. Um, Do you smell like hospital? thing? Mm-hmm. I think that was pretty rude. Um, I think, I think the thing rude. that I think that was so disrespectful. I think the thing she said about like, the aunt after the fact and she's like yeah so so she lost a leg whatever um that was rude I feel like telling someone that they smell like hospital when they just came from a hospital is like wow like you're an incredible 
you have an incredible sense of smell. If you can like guess that someone was in a hospital just by smelling them, is that what that is that what happened? That's what happened, so right? I think what Jen has said since is that like she didn't actually even go to the hospital that day, but she had told Mary uh, or Mary <laughs> knew that she was going to visit her relative, which to me makes Mary look even worse. Okay, so that's Mary, different. Mary yeah, Mary isn't actually and I think that's why Jen got upset because she knew she hadn't literally just come from the hospital and this person is attempting to make her feel bad when she's like trying to take take care of her aunt who's like was like a parent or something and is regardless critically ill that's yeah it's a shitty thing and and p.s mary with her stolen you know the money that she's been able to manipulate people into getting to her and the shit she said about other people is some sort of vessel for god have we all forgotten that like oh yeah her part-time hobby in addition to getting money out of people by forcing them to sign legal contracts and handing over cash they can't afford to do and tithing to probably 99 percent is also like involved at, and is supposed to be a religious figure doesn't charity start at home like totally where in how does she appear in any way the ways that she shows off her money the $1,100 plus Louis Vuitton AirPods which is like the grossest cheapest most expensive cheap thing I've ever seen it's like beyond bougie it's I actually I actually was like this is buy them a pochette for that like why are you buying them air it doesn't make any sense to me but anyway it's and just this all person is bad supposed to be chaired like where where is your charitable spirit I only see like an angry I don't think that Jen is the angriest person on that show I just think she is the most successful at expressing it in all of the worst ways well yeah that's the well that's what I'm saying is that Jen should have really just like let yeah. Mary roll and then people would have uh judged her on it and then instead she sort of um turned Mary into a bit of a victim even though Mary's mm -hmm. like not I mean the stuff with the arranged marriage seems really messed up but mm -hmm. um the other issue with Jen is that, like, she really clung to this, like, hospital thing. My mm -hmm. issue would have been the shit that Mary said about black people outside of a 7-Eleven. That's what I think is, like, the worst thing that she said. So just to push back on that, Jen has since said that the reason she has been pissed at Mary all along is because of the 7-Eleven stuff. So when she was expressing a lot of rage about the hospital thing just just as in her interactions and dealing with alcohol and everything else it's misdirected from something deeper and 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 uglier and so i think that jen has been carrying the weight of that for a long time she allowed it to release through the vessel of hospital and obviously did not communicate effectively as to what was going on she may not have even realized it until later when it came out at that horrific um brunch and met ball situation met gala that the reason she has been pissed at mary for so long is because of that conversation that that has she has said since that that cut much much deeper than anything else yeah and thank but, god she brought it to light because mary is like it was all a lie but i'm gonna talk around it and essentially repeat it but <laughs> jen's lying but i'm gonna prove to you yet again over and over again that she was telling the truth yeah 
Um, Mary doesn't know where she is, but where she is, <laughs> she definitely probably <laughs> she like she doesn't know where she is at any time. But where she happens to be is like a town population one called problematic. Like mm-hmm. she is a problematic person. She's a problematic in how she is running the church. She's problematic in how she's receiving and spending money that did not start in her like if it came from her checking account. That's not the original. That's not the origin story. Um, and she's problematic in how she's using these women to leverage her own feelings of, of, um, uh, dislike for Jen, you know, like, do you think that Meredith and, and, um, uh, Lisa said to Mary, I'm afraid of Jen? I don't know. I, I I don't know if they actually said it or if that's just what Mary inferred. Um, but like, I don't think that they, I definitely don't think Lisa said it. I think that like they may have said something where Mary maybe m- interpreted it that way. Like, I don't think that they're like afraid of Jen, like she's going to beat them up. I think that they are just sensitive to Jen and more you know sensitive to like pissing her off or like saying something that'll like set her off yeah as the buzzer's going off I think that's um a delivery of my own Louis Vuitton airpods and I'm ignore <laughs> because I'm totally okay with just regular ones thank you so much um uh yeah I feel like it's like a little somewhere in the middle of maybe Mary was saying like isn't Jen, isn't it like so terrible how she acts out or something? And isn't that like, isn't it dangerous or something how she behaves? And the women are maybe saying separately, you know, like, yes, you know, or like, yeah, that sucks or something like that. I do not think that Lisa of all people came to Mary to be like, wow, I'm real scared of Jen. What they could have been saying is, uh, you know, something to do with like Jen is, acting out or you know I don't want to raise any kind of question of anything else because I don't think it's going to be received well or she's going to respond I mean the question to the larger question to me is like does Mary believe her own bullshit like does she genuinely believe that these women said these things to her is she inferring stuff and trying to represent it as truth or or is she just using this um you know to like rope in Whitney and all of this I don't have an answer what do you think I I don't trust any religious person like that that is like living high on the hog off of their um their parishioners money hard-earned money yeah sure like that that's doing any kind of like illicit and possibly illegal activity yeah so I'm I'm I don't really believe Mary Mm -hmm. um it's very possible that she believes Mm -hmm. that she actually believes the lie because I mean Mm -hmm. you know I Pentecostal religion it's that they're speaking in tongues and uh playing with snakes and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah it she believes weird stuff so um, and also, like, oh, you haven't been watching OC. No, but t- raise it, raise the, raise the point. Um, Elizabeth Vargas, the new, the mm-hmm. new cast member, has mm-hmm. um, opened up about how she was raised in a cult, and it was the Pentecostal church, and it, you know, Wait, which is a cult or the Pentecostal, like a, a one cult? in the same. It was a cult sect of the of the, the Pente- Pentecostal. Okay. Yeah, but it was, um. Which 
I think should lead to questions about what Mary's doing. Um, and how Mary was raised. Exactly. Because she's probably not creating this stuff out of her ass. It yeah, exactly. Happen, you know, she was trained in some ways, you know. Um, Wait, but what happened with Elizabeth? But so Elizabeth was raised in she, a some sort of cult situation. And then what happened? She uh, got out of it? She was molested. They were beaten. Oh God, she and her terrible. brother were beaten. Her mother was oh beaten. And they kept trying to escape. And then they would somehow get sucked back in. And then she oh finally did really escape. And then so she's been like, you know, pay, she helped pay for her family to like get out of it. Wow. But it, her father and I guess the only really the real reason why they got out of it for good was because her father died because her father was oh like because her her father and her grandfather, or her uncle or whoever, they were leaders in this church, this Pentecostal mm-hmm. church. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like I think it it's uh, it was a little bit. I don't know if a lot of people have made the connection between like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the same exact church, but it's the mm-hmm. same religion. And I know mm-hmm. people who were, were raised Pentecostal and it was very damaging to them. So mm-hmm. um, like gay people who like were raised Pentecostal and then got out because it was like the kind of thing where like, you know, you're evil if you're gay. Wow. Have you been watching the whole season of Orange County? Yes, it was very boring and it was short. It was I truncated. Heard. It was it was short. Um, the Shannon stuff. I'll, you know what? I'll always, I'll always think Shannon's entertaining. She's a total mess still. The stuff with the new boyfriend. I mean, she has this like relationship that seemed like it was going great. He's a good looking guy. Her daughter made some kind of comment that like maybe he's using Shannon for her money. Um, or that he, oh my God. W- or that he wouldn't be. And his name is literally John. Um, but mm. that, but that, you know, and then, and then there was some other kind of thing where Bronwyn said that like John, get so trashed and he got so trashed at some event that he his his own father had to come pick him up um well how old is john's father john's <laughs> is like 40 late 40 50s yeah i mean i'm really bad at ages yeah he's got to be in his 50s bronwyn's grandparents are still alive they went to her uh marriage her her vow renewal bronwyn's a lot younger than john though right i bronwyn's guess i mean mid-40s? Uh, bronwyn i think bronwyn's my I age have no idea Brahman's like a year older than me, maybe. I think Brahman's 42 or 43. Uh, John, I don't think John's 50, but I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, so maybe oh my God, that's so father's wild. in his 80s. But, um, but like Shannon has been calling them in the middle of the night and like, you know, whatever, like crying to them, like doing the same shit she would do to Tamara about right. David, but about John. And like, oh, they're in this, you know, that he's in a bad relationship. It just sounds like Shannon should... <sighs> Like she needs to get a therapist and not like annoy her friends with this shit. Isn't she in therapy? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, that's always the thing when like someone is hyper, hyper vigilant to the point of controlling about the idea of toxic energy of like, we need to have light bulbs, be careful about Wi-Fi, hear all the oils. <laughs> and in many cases, in some cases it's being done, of course, because people want to live as close to a natural holistic life as possible. In Shannon's case, and I say this as someone who you should say to go fuck myself immediately because I haven't seen this season, but in Shannon's case, it has always appeared to be a substitute or salve for toxicity that she allows to exist and permeate through every like core and pore of her being, whether it's in her marriage, relationships with women, or how she feels about herself. And so with That's it a good coming read. to... 
Thank you. And so when it comes to like <laughs> her announcing this relationship with this guy, John, I remember when it like came out on social and there were pictures and I was like, oh, he's so cute. Like, mm-hmm. This is great. But with Shannon, there always seems to be a, some sort of underbelly of darkness and her struggle in life is trying to fight it, but not escape it. Like she won't ever leave it. She allows it to live. And my question to Shannon would be like, do you need Dr. Moon so much because of these things happening to you or because these things attract themselves to you? Mm. Like, are you the magnet for this? What are you doing where you don't have any boundaries up, where you're not creating any boundaries of saying, regardless of how I feel about this person or situation, I'm not going to allow this into my life because I deserve more than this. Or I'm saying this isn't okay. Like where did, when did that not happen? I don't, I, I honestly feel like a lot of Shannon's um, stuff is the booze. Cause, and it it seems like now she found this guy that gets wasted with her. Like they drink a lot together and they, they really, they, I mean, they edited it that way. Like they, you know, they're just every scene they're drinking together. Um, Really? yeah, they got really trash. I mean, you should watch some of it. Bronwyn's um, vow renewal. They, um, they, you know, Bronwyn who came out as an alcoholic, yeah. told all these girls, you know, I, I have a problem with alcohol, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're not going to be having alcohol at this party, which is her prerogative. It's her party. Um, and so the women like all went to like a liquor store before they went to this party and they bought like a ton of stuff and like Shannon in particular bought a ton of stuff. And then Shannon like was late going to the, like the reception for it because she and John were like getting like zooted in her room and <clears throat> with their children. <clears throat> were their so, children drinking? No, their children were present. Yeah, their kids were present. They have minor kids. So what I heard about that, because I heard about that when that episode aired, I heard that what Bronwyn had, and again, I haven't seen it, so again, tell me to go fuck myself. I heard that what Bronwyn had done was to say there will be alcohol served at the wedding or whatever it is, Valrenal reception, whatever, party, whatever, but it won't include my trigger alcohol, which is tequila. So she was saying, it's like going to any fucking cocktail reception where you be a proper guest if they're only serving beer and wine those are your two options don't yeah be a no, they all stop it. and got and so much women, tequila <laughs> which doesn't make any sense to me because first off it's not there you are attending this person's event you are a guest in their home you don't treat them like shit and if she's also adding on top of it that it's a trigger for her alcoholism why on earth would you try to trigger someone's recovery, which is new and burgeoning and in a, an especially vulnerable place? Like, what kind of shitty person does that? And do you so think it's going to be funny? Like, in what way? No, the, I think it was just selfishness. Oh, totally. But are they thinking like, oh, this will be like a fun thing because I'm on the show and like I'm doing a little shtick because regardless. I don't think so. I think it was like I need tequila and I think it really underlined what their um, what their like what Shannon's problem is. But I always thought that Shannon was a vodka person. She was always like Grey Goose, but I guess she switched to tequila 
Um, well, everybody has a new chapter to their life's journey, and I guess maybe when one do- when the vodka door opens, the exactly. Vita. <laughs> <laughs> when the vodka closes, the Vita opens its door. Um, are you watching Dallas? Yes, although I haven't seen the second episode. I only saw the first. Tracy Morrissey. This is I like know. a fun little Sarah Sarah story. Sarah, what did you think of? Um, <coughs> what do you think of the? What did you think of the premiere and? Um, and I start, I started watching the second Tiffany. episode. I okay. saw like the first half of it probably. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> I I like the new uh, cast member Tiffany Moon. I'm like Brandy must have been shitting her pants. When she learned mm-hmm. that there was going to be an Asian cast member after what had happened, I mm-hmm. totally forgot because this was at the beginning of 2020 when, you know, Brandy's um, uh, racist thing came out, her mm-hmm. racist Insta story. Resurfaced. Yeah. Um, and then she went to like racism rehab. I totally mm-hmm. forgot that she did that. And then when they brought it up again, I was like, oh, yeah. Cause like then coronavirus kicked in and I just like didn't even think about it anymore. Um, so I, I thought that they handled it so well. Um, I thought that they handled like, like having, you know, it sucks to have the like woman of color have to do that emotional work or whatever, but like also for her to share her experience like that, this exact, it's exactly why like representation on these shows matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I did, I was like, <clears throat> disappointed in Carrie when I was glad that the producer asked her what was the difference between what Brandy did and what Leanne did and Carrie kind of had an answer but like I would have respected her more if she would have just been honest and been like well Leanne did it to me so that's what was different like because that just what it seemed like the answer really was um I but you know it's going to be interesting i'm really glad that they have this woman on there um and uh yeah i don't know uh, the dog autopsy was i mean cameron oh my god the thing that you posted the the watch what happens live thing yeah what it was the a hell? Weird week it was a weird week for watch what happens cuz i you know i'm so behind on watch what happens episodes but i had to watch the full episode that cam was just on with cheyenne jackson because um an ag listener sent me a dm yeah was it even yesterday morning when did this was it yesterday morning the day before i don't even remember i think it's it's like yesterday i think it's yesterday on friday i mean we're recording on friday yesterday morning um so an ag slid into my dms in the early hours and was like did you see this video from watch what happens and they had watched live and were very uncomfortable and a video where um cam has Cam decided when when being asked about her feelings about Dr. Tiffany Moon and relationship, whatever the initial question was, to take a very left turn and decided to compare Dr. Tiffany Moon, um, new cast member, uh, Asian housewife, to the women at the ping pong show in Thailand which is incredibly problematic while ref- referencing the all bossiness, of the women as bossy, which if you go to my Instagram, you can see and read stories of several um, uh, viewers, Bravoholics of color, including several Asian viewers who were very triggered by what Cam was doing in pulling out of her ass 
um, a reference to the Thailand trip when talking about Dr. Tiffany Moon. Wonder why that came into her thought bubble and referring to these women as bossy, which is uh, a word that, you know, we've talked about different words that can be triggering to different people, be them women, women of color. We've talked about on Andy Scrolls and Andrew Scrolls Patreon episodes, um, the idea of colorism, as was, um, you know, uh, discussed on the uh, Potomac reunion and on Dallas, we're getting into a conversation in the Bravo world and, um, you know, with some of these women about the idea of the use of bossy, which is used to typically minimize a woman's voice and critique uh, the idea of a woman expressing emotion among it, you know, anger, God forbid. And the idea especially of bossy being used to marginalize women of color and for um, Asian women, often bossiness is being used in which to force women into a very stereotypical and ugly stereotype of the idea of Asian women needing to be docile and quiet mm-hmm. and and respectful. And the history of that word is really ugly. And it's something that viewers who aren't people of color, myself included as a white woman, you need to listen to people's stories. And if you don't understand it, that actually doesn't matter. And the intent of the person using the words, sharing the stories, making these comparisons doesn't matter. What matters is the impact that is felt. And a lot of people felt very defensive. So I posted this clip on social, which got a very big reaction on my Instagram and was picked up by comments by Bravo, among others. And what a lot of people have said is, you're pulling this out of your ass. What she was talking about was about her castmates on the trip. So again, even if she was talking about her castmates, the fact that she decided to reference in her head Thailand, which was an intentional choice and not a mistake, is problematic Plus, there is video that I put up on social, I think, late last night from an episode last season sent to me by yet again another Andy's girl. So shout out to you guys of Cam specifically calling and describing the um, sex workers at the Thailand show as bossy. And Cam herself, I think this morning said in a comment, she's been deleting comments, but in a comment she responded and said to someone saying, how dare you essentially or questioning why she compared Dr. Tiffany Moon to the women that she met in Thailand. Cam's response was like, oh, no, I meant this group of women. Uh, the my I meant my cast members. I'm sorry if I didn't communicate that effectively, essentially, which a do I believe that? No. no. But do I take it at face value if she's trying to rewrite what she said, which would be the very first time that a Dallas housewife has tried to do that? Just kidding. Even if I believed her and I don't because there's video evidence that supports as well as Andy and Cheyenne's reactions, mm-hmm. which were shock. And the reactions of people immediately who are like, what the fuck? Even if I believed Cam, which I don't, and video evidence doesn't support it. No, it's what such matters. A, no. Right. What matters is are the people and viewers of color who are saying this is not okay. And that's all that matters. That's all there is. And if you have questions about that, if you don't understand why bossy is um, not okay, maybe don't ask people of color to go through the emotional trauma of having to explain racism to you. Maybe just do your research like 
read the comments, read the stories of people who've always already referenced and, you know, do your own work, do the work yourself. Don't expect that of people of color to constantly have to prove to you why, while they are triggered, especially when several responses were, oh, well, I just don't agree with you about your experience. I mean, Not her, great. her, I didn't know that she was like denying it in that way. That's like really stupid. Yeah, I think it stupid. just happened today, to be honest. We're that recording me- Friday morning. That's so dumb. Um, because if she hadn't denied it in a way, like then she could really just like, lean on the more believable excuse mm-hmm. of her just being ignorant of mm-hmm. of that and I think that like if nothing else um it, it sh- even if she didn't mean to compare Asian women or mm-hmm. put them all in the same bucket or whatever um she should have known that saying that would lead people to think that that's what she was doing and this is the this is the reason why unconscious bias training is so important and why we should be teaching that in schools and why people who weren't taught that in school should be, you know, learning. I mean, I guess she doesn't really have a corporate job, so I don't know where she's going to learn it. But like there are these like actually there's courses. I think even Stasi took one. Um, mm-hmm. People have been doing these like Zoom courses of mm-hmm. of um, unconscious bias training and mm-hmm. teaching people about white supremacy and about, you know, racial bias. And, and when, mm-hmm. when you do it and you don't even realize you're doing it, which is what seems like it happened with Cameron. She did it. She didn't realize she was doing it. And then now she's trying to quickly backpedal. Um, it's a, it's a moment to just like learn about that though. You know, like mm-hmm. um, it's God, they're going to be stepping in it over and over again these (laughs) these ladies they like can't help themselves well it's just the timing of it all and then cam put out a post yesterday um as this was going quasi viral not like viral viral but as people were talking about it let's say um uh you know she put up a post on on instagram as a joke comparing chicken feet which was one of the items served at um dim sum when you know, um, Dr. Tiffany Moon was introducing women to more of her culture. And here are various foods that are considered a delicacy. And I think Deandra actually did a really great job of translating that for the audience because Deandra is very well traveled and knows a lot of um, cultural significance around certain foods, experiences. And um, Cam, you know, has seen the episodes receives the or watches it however she actually is able to take it in and then posts an instagram post comparing chicken feet to dog food which is yet another microaggression and and trigger and you know my favorite phrase and the mantra that i just as myself in my journey in life um as someone who fucks up and tries to navigate life as best I can. I'm not a perfect person, obviously, or maybe I am. Who's to say, um, trendsetter. Number one, uh, my favorite mantra is normalize changing your mind based on new information. So Cam might not have known this and Mm -hmm. I, no one is trying to villainize her. People use the phrase cancel culture in which to minimize, um, conversations around mm-hmm. accountability. No one is saying, or I myself personally, and I don't discount other people's feelings that are uh, understandable who may feel differently. 
am not trying to say Cam should be fired, Cam should whatever. I do think people have the capacity to grow and do better. So, But the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that something happened. If you don't even feel comfortable acknowledging that what happened yeah. happened, how does ignorance's bliss, how has that worked out for the women on Dallas so far? Not super well. So you're looking at a, a franchise that's had to navigate really ugly moments in the last season and now this season relating to minimalize and marginalizing, making fun of um, someone's race, ethnicity, nationality, culture, what 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 have you when it comes to unfortunately numerous examples in Dallas we are seeing another example of this Camwell may not have known um the impact that her words would have but now you have the benefit of knowledge of mm-hmm. knowing this so what's in ha- what's important is what you do with that and what's equally important is that viewers don't feel the need to rush to defense and in doing so eliminate the potential for discussion because what the intent of what I was trying to do, what other people were trying to do and shout out to comments by Bravo who did a great job of this as well is, is to say that this happened. What is important is for us to learn from it. Yeah. We can do better. If we are listening to people who are saying, how dare you discuss the impact of microaggressive behavior and of the importance of words matter? How dare you say that you are just as bad as whatever, blah, blah, blah. What you're doing is muting conversation. So we're actually at a worse place than we were before. You know, that doesn't yeah. do anybody any good. Yeah, it's not progressive. I have just have a question. So she called the chicken feet dog food. Is that because she made dog food and she put chicken feet in her dog food? So what she did on the Instagram <laughs> post was essentially saying my dog food tastes better than chicken feet. So buy some sparkle food now oh. as like an LOL, which was her way of marketing her dog food, which P.S. didn't it like harm dog. I, remember when she had, I didn't even like know dog. it was still out because people were um their yeah. their dog they were leaving reviews for it that their dogs were having like Sick. hot pink diarrhea on their carpets and like staining their carpets with this pink disgusting dog food yeah I think it's because allegedly one of the main ingredients was like cranberries or something isn't actually good for a dog's <laughs> digestive tract which maybe Cam would have known if she'd read again maybe learning is maybe reading and learning and when you have new information so I think what she was trying to market were dog treats which may be a new product for her okay. I don't know if it's the same exact product but regardless there there's a conversation to have of like if you are a picky eater how do you get around and navigate turning down food that someone is offering to you without insulting them or coming across as insulting um uh, a culture in which this food may be held in high esteem or or whatever the reason is how do you do that versus how do you double down on making fun of something when you are also attached to a franchise that does not have a great record of that totally Aha, I was making a funny because if I'm looking for comedians, I'm not necessarily (laughs) going to lean on the women in Dallas. Yeah. You know, no matter how many LOLs Carrie with a K um, ends her confessionals with. (laughs) Um, 
I mean, I would just say watch watch season two and then you'll have to we'll have to do like a Patreon follow up to get your thoughts and feels as you watch as you catch up with SLC. Yeah, I'm, I'm catching up today. Indeed. I have to do it. I meant to do it. I just have been I've been so distracted with the Civil War. I mean, listen, you know, you got to prioritize Tracy Morrissey and sometimes you got to. To, you know turn off the c-span and turn on your life <laughs> bravo good tagline um thank you so much speaking of bravo tv.com shout out to some bravo holic pals of mine sam bravo historian sasha with the bravo breakdown and evan ross Katz, who are going to be guests on watch what happens <gasps> live next week with friend of the pod danny pellegrino i believe oh it's gonna be wendy's episode just announced yesterday so congrats to them it is a very very big deal and shout out to Watch What Happens Live and to Bravo for acknowledging and amplifying the voices of Bravoholics and celebrating the community that is Bravo. I cannot tell you how excited I was when the news came out. These are three people that I am constantly talking to whose voices and opinions I admire most. And, you know, the cherry on top is to have Danny Pellegrino, who we all adore, return to Watch What Happens. So I'm so excited to watch that episode. Speaking of episodes, um, uh, listen up to that conversation with Ronald Richards, which I'll pivot to next for the second half of this double double episode. Um, I didn't get your thoughts on the New Jersey trailer. We do have to record a Patreon episode this week. Tracy Morrissey, I'm going to force you into coughing your way um, okay. through that magic because I do want to get your thoughts on Dallas once you listen. And guys, I posted a Patreon episode that is my live reaction to the New Jersey trailer. So that's up on Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Andy's Girls, the number one way to support um, yours truly and uh, the glory of AG. There are some new episodes up, including a conversation with uh, Asians who watch Bravo about the premiere episode of Dallas that does not have a paywall, as well as my live reaction to the New Jersey trailer. And there's some really fun, exciting, exclusive Patreon episodes of AG that are coming up this week. So make sure to sign up. There's a sh uh, link in show notes and it's as little as $2 a month and you get so much from that and speaking of getting so much from life listen I uh like many people uh am not currently working unfortunately because my form of work is event production and events are currently rest in peace <laughs> um but you know you and I both live in New York City and we are watching with I believe some level of horror and concern at the number of small businesses and the footprint and backbone of New York, of course, is our hospitality industry, as well as numerous small businesses that form the spirit of New York that we all adore, so many of whom, because of the pandemic and unfortunate lack of um, financial and other means of support, are going out of business. And what I am focused on is figuring out a way to amplify small businesses um, who are in great need of our attention and support. As I know personally, my personal life, you know, money can be tight. How you spend it is a really d difficult decision to make. But if there's a way to support these small businesses, either by giving them your money, buying gift cards, or spreading attention on social media, it's gratefully appreciated. So I'm so excited to launch on Andy's Girls Small Business Satchels. So you guys know Satchels of Gold from listener thoughts and feels. And what I would like to do on some upcoming episodes is amplify small businesses that Andy's Girls listeners 
love. Maybe it's a company that you own or you work for or you just love to go to. It could be a company, a business, a proprietor, whatever it is um, that is a small business. I want to hear from you uh, the names of these um, companies, places, restaurants, whatever it is. Could be in your hometown, a place you visited, wherever in the world. Send me an email at andysgirlsshow at gmail.com with your first name and town, or you can send it anonymously, of course, the name of the company, their um, social media handles, if those exist, and why they should be considered for a small business satchel, what that satchel will be, will be a shout out for me on a future episode and or a gratis ad. Please note if that company or organization is run or owned by um, a woman-led person of color or a family-run business because I want to make sure to do my very best to amplify um, organizations, companies, businesses that matter. Uh, One of my personal favorites is Pippin Vintage um, in Chelsea, which is a gem of a jewelry store um, run by a guy named Steve, who I love dearly. I'm going to be, I'm walking there now. My favorite thing to do right now when the weather is okay is to walk from um, the Upper E to Chelsea through the East Village and take in as much as I can of New York safely. And, you know, Pippin's my favorite place to go to. So, guys, if you want to just see some sparkle um, and a lot of fun, you can go to Pippin Vintage Instagram at Pippin Vintage or their website, PippinVintage.com. Um, to see and check out one of my favorite places. I'm going to put up some social media when I um, check it out today. Because I think that that's, you know, it's just a little bit that I can hopefully do to elevate some companies that need some attention. It's a very nice so thing com- to do. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so, uh, guys, send me, email me your small business satchels. If you can email them to me, that's preferred over DM just for this uh, campaign because it's easier for me to track and organize. Tracy, with no notice, having given you no information that I was doing this, is there a small business that you would like to to shout out? A restaurant or organy? Organy? That's a fun organization company. <laughs> Um, a restaurant or organy, which is a new word that I've created. Oh, my God. Maybe I could be a Dallas housewife pulling <laughs> things out of my ass that don't make sense. Um, a place that you like to go to here in New York or wherever else. Something that, you know, means a lot to you or you've had a great memory. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> the Commodore is a bar and restaurant in Brooklyn in Williamsburg. They make the best buffalo chicken sandwich. It's so, Ooh. so good. And they have the best queso. They really their nachos mm-hmm. are awesome. Uh, and they are doing, they used to not do delivery before, which mm. was always kind of shitty for me. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, but I would always go there, but now they do delivery and they're so good. They're on caviar. Um, oh, great. if you want so to order, so they've been able to try to adjust and pivot as best they can yeah. to keep their doors open. Something for all of us to keep in mind is that, you know, the bottom line from a restaurant going from, you know, being in the red to uh, squeaking out some sort of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Some sort of um, uh, profit is so, so tough in the best of circumstances where we're not in a pandemic. So imagine trying to run a restaurant where, you know, 
the costs are very, very high and the profits are tough in the middle of this when you're not able to have indoor dining, when, you know, options are really limited. So just keep that in mind if you are able to, you know, buy yourself a chicken. What was it? Chicken sandwich? Chicken salad? Yeah. Buffalo chicken chicken sandwich. It's so good. They have great fried chicken. Go to the Commodore. I'm a 20-year vegetarian. Go get yourself a buffalo chicken sandwich if it makes you feel good. Go to the Commodore. I'll include in the show notes for this episode links and more info on Pippin Vintage as well as the Commodore. Um, And let's check them out. Let's follow them on social and and give them um, some love because... You know, it feels good to say thank you to companies and businesses and stop stores, shops, restaurants that have helped us in the best of times. Let's try to um, help them out as best we can in some of the worst. Yes. Um, on that note, Tracy Morsey, where can people follow you on social? The 90 bajillion people, thousand bajillion <laughs> bajillion who follow you now. Where can people see your investigative journalists? I'm Tracy Morrissey uh, on everything. Tracy with uh, T-R-A-C-I-E. Tracy Morrissey, you know you're one of my favorite guests. <laughs> I love I'm- coming on here. I love having you. Um, I am going to force you to do a Patreon with me once you watch Dallas because I want to get your thoughts on the. Um, OK, the the uh, what's it called when you have the table that spins? Is that called Lazy, Lazy Susan? Susan? Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on that um, really interesting meal that took place. And also on like another amazing episode for Dr. Dr. Tiffany Moon, who's like one of my new favorite um, new Real Housewives. I think do you think she's, she's the really smartest cool. housewife Ever ever been on? Yeah. Um, That's such a good question. I was actually thinking about it and I was thinking about it in relation to Heather Thompson, who I think is very, has a lot of emotional intelligence. Mm, She does. And is also smart and a businesswoman. And what Dr. Tiffany, I think, has the capacity to do is to be able to connect with the audience maybe quicker than Heather Thompson was able to do. Yes. Noting that obviously editing production has a huge part to play in that. Do I think she's one of like the most intellectually intelligent housewives of all time? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And what she was able to do coming to America at, I want to say six, I might be fucking that up. Yeah. Six. Out knowing a word of English and then graduating top of her class and graduating mm-hmm. medical school. I want to say it early. Yeah. Is unbelievable. Like graduating college, I want to say it, like 19 or something. Medical school at 23. She is really, really smart. She is very, very funny. She has a lot of capacity for empathy. And I think she is completely able to defend herself. I'm concerned about how the other women may treat her as this season goes on. Mm -hmm. I'm not like hearing great things, but you know, in this house, this is a, this is a Stan Dr. Uh, (laughs) Tiffany Moon household. So no choice, but to Stan. Yeah. I I think what are are your thoughts? Do you think? Yeah. She's like, move over Wendy. Your degrees don't add up to this lady. Oh, (laughs) I don't want to compare the two. I think what Dr. Wendy is doing is I don't think that there's a comparison. I think that they are both incredibly, incredibly smart. I think they're both incredibly smart. But Tiffany is sharper than Wendy is and quicker. You know what I mean? Like she just is, she just seems... I don't know, like more on top as far as like, like you said, like emotionally intelligent, book smart, all of that. Like she has like 
the Bethany aspect and then the like actual like medical school and all of it. Like she's she's sharp and quick and, and smart. I mean, what I have said on social that I still stand behind is the idea that I think the casting of both Dr. Wendy and Dr. Tiffany is a great sign of the future and promise that the Housewives franchise has, because I think these are both very incredibly well-educated, passionate, smart, driven women in very different industries who bring a lot of value to the Housewife franchise in very different ways. Like Mm -hmm. the reasons in which a person may consider Dr. Tiffany more intelligent when it comes to like reactions to things Mm -hmm. is actually a value that Dr. Wendy brings to Potomac because of, I may not agree with what she does, but that you know, what she is bringing to the show has a lot of value, which is unrelated to her like education and, and career, both of which are very successful, excuse Mm -hmm. me, both of which she's she's been very successful at. So I do want to say like, you know, looking at, you know, the booking of Bravo Holics and watch what happens, which is so great. And the casting of these two women, both of whom are women of color at the top of their fields Mm -hmm. who are now joining you know, Real Housewives, a franchise, an idea that has been critiqued in the past for showing aspects of women or stereotypes of women that may not be helpful. I think this is a nice pushback on that and the idea that all women's stories deserve to be heard. And look at the kinds of women, the successful women, women with MDs and four degrees who want to be Real Housewives. And it's not just because it's a show on TV, Mm -hmm. you know, like I think that's a really great indicator on the potential health of the Housewives franchise. And I think we have a long way to go with Housewives and we're bringing up some cracks in the foundation that have always existed that we maybe didn't realize or some of us didn't realize until now. But I think that, you know, having these kinds of conversations like the kind that we had today and watching these women on TV, I think it's a great indicator. Hopefully we have a great year of, um, you know, conversations ahead. I think we will. Amen. Tracy Morrissey guys, follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley. You can see the cam video that was posted on watch what happens and if you're following me on ig stories i'm sure i'll repeat it again the video of from last season and so much more polls and yada yada and always appreciate the follow which really really helps um uh ag quite a bit so follow me on insta at dame galley patreon.com slash andy's girls links in the show notes to pippin vintage and the commodore um pippin vintage and chelsea and the commodore in brooklyn send me your small business satchels and guys enjoy my conversation with ronald richards on this 900 hour double episode of andy's girls your lucky day um and it was certainly mine to talk to ronald richards enjoy that conversation about all things girardi now okay you guys this is a very special little uh chapter for andy's girls one in which i have been fascinated so i'm so excited by the guest who is generously uh, joining me now um ronald richards the attorney with practices in la and dc who shares insights on national cases and is a former nbc news paid legal analyst who came to my attention because while I'm not on Twitter for mental health reasons because it's a fascinating place to play um I've seen many many Bravo accounts including in fact mine amplifying tweets in social media as uh, Ronald Richards has covered the Tom Girardi case and so I'm so excited to do a little bit more of a deeper dive with him now how are you Ronald Richards I'm fantastic 
I feel like you could be a Republican running for president in 1980 with a name like Ronald Richards. That's like a classic old school. It feels like you were born to be a lawyer with that name. Well, it was either that or business school. uh, But initially, I didn't know how to do calculus very well. Yeah, well, some of us never learned. So there we go. (laughs) There goes that MBA I was never looking for. Um, So listen, I'm so thankful that you're joining me today because the Tom and Erica Girardi of it all has deeply captivated the Bravo audience. And uh, Andy's Girls, the, the purpose of the podcast is to really talk about the psychology behind the behavior of these women that we watch on TV and to get more of a deeper dive into understanding why these women decide to do the things that they are. And for many shows under the Housewives canon and many of these franchises, the is there is the idea of conflict. There is the idea of stakes. And in many ways, fraud has become an element for many of these seasons. Maybe not necessarily a question of um, legality, but certainly is this marriage that you're presenting is something loving and real, really that, you know, are these friendships that are being purported to be, you know, long-term and like soul sister kind of, um, you know, relationships. Is that really the kind of friendship that we're seeing play out? So when the legal court system gets involved, it is not necessarily out of the norm of reality for Real Housewives at that at this point, you know, with Teresa Giudice being the largest example, But it is a shock to the system because most of these women show themselves to be women of incredible means and um, wealth. And, you know, for the Erica and Tom Girardi of it of it all to happen on Beverly Hills, a franchise that's really known to be, you know, at the higher echelon of um, wealth and access, it is in fact, still a shocker. Did you know anything about, you know, the Real Housewives when you began embarking on the journey of covering this case? Well, yeah, I knew some of the players that have been on the show over the years. It's been a long running show, but I've I've always known that none of them live in Beverly Hills. And I I represented a Russell Armstrong and his Uh. wife was Taylor Armstrong. So I was involved, unfortunately, um, he took his own life. And so I was very involved in defending him. Um, he was a really nice guy. And uh, I dealt with the show tangentially at that time. But um, I, the, the, that's what made the um, motivation to expose the fraud more justifiable because of the false pu- public persona that was being perpetuated on the show. And, you know, I'm sure that we don't want to wade into these waters considering um, your relationship with Russell. But one would argue that Russell seeming like a nice guy, which he did a bit on Beverly Hills, is a sort of a window into the idea that not all of this is real, as there were some very serious and difficult challenges coming from Taylor about the ways in which her marriage was potentially quite abusive before, you know, Russell killed himself. So um, it is an example, albeit one on like a 
definitely an end of a spectrum of you never know what's actually going on behind, um, you know, the intimacy of somebody's house. Um, and I can't imagine what working on a case with someone that captured the national headlines and obviously ended in what I think everyone would conclude to be, you know, a tragic turn of events, how that can color your view of the real housewives world and of the idea of unpacking in the court system what we do and do not see on reality TV. Did you have any interactions with Tom or Erica before this case? Never. Okay. Um, so for many of us, we know we knew Tom Girardi as like the older husband, incredibly wealthy husband of his wife, this real housewife who in her free time had created an, sort of an alternate uh, an alter ego, you know, pop star performer. Um, and so for those of us at home watching, there was perhaps no bigger shock than to hear that one of what appeared to be the wealthiest Real Housewives couples was in fact mired in so much, so many like legal entanglements. It's been kind of shocking to see. Is there a way for you to kind of recap the case as it began and where it stands now? Uh, yes, the, the, the case sort of, um, the case sort of began when, um, I, I'm usually contacted by a lot of people when there's attorneys that are, um, committing various issues. I, I I've tracked other attorneys that have had problems in the Southern California area. And I've covered them. So I started getting whispers that Girardi wasn't paying, um, wasn't paying uh, their um, clients timely. So I started looking into um, some open cases where he was making payments on settlements, which is very strange. Um, usually when you get a settlement, you deploy the entire settlement. You don't start financing the, the payments to your clients. Mm -hmm. So my antenna went up that something was wrong. And then I started realizing there was a bunch of civil cases against him. And then I noticed a lot of judgments from uh, finance companies and clients. And I then knew right away that any that a lawyer of this caliber was hemorrhaging because these were just too many judgments and too many allegations all saying the same thing. And so I immediately um, uh, started to pull down different dockets and complaints and resources that the average person would never have access to. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt that uh, the public needed to be aware of it because this would then generate a uh, collective response. And so I... Uh, got some of my firm's resources to donate to this cause so the public could be informed because a lot of times when you inform the public, you know, then more victims come out of the woodwork and that's exactly what happened here. So I felt it was a noble pursuit to get this thing aired publicly so we could um, discuss it in the public forum. 
And so what seems to have happened is as more cases, victims, you know, whatever the correct term, as more people have come forward, it feels, and as more awareness has come forward, more people come out of the woodwork. So this isn't like a set case of like, okay, here, or a set structure of, okay, here are the cases where this needs to be um, examined, where these people are owed money. It's the, okay, these clients are owed money, but also he borrowed the cost to pursue the cases plus he borrowed against the fees that he would be receiving as well as what these people are legally owed i mean is that it feels like a yes. very very much a tangled web well it's like uh you know i hate to use the word ponzi, ponzi scheme, scheme because yeah. that's what everybody kind of knows but they don't necessarily understand a ponzi scheme mm -hmm. but let, let's just say in the big thirty thousand foot picture for listeners it's like if you borrow money of any kind on your assets to pay other lenders um, with that money, um, ultimately, you it turns into a Ponzi scheme because your only source of new income is le the leveraging of other assets. In a traditional Ponzi scheme, you're bringing in new investors, but you could also have a Ponzi scheme. If you're borrowing or encumbering assets that aren't yours, like the client's portion of the settlement fees, which then explains why he was making payments to the clients on their settlement. And that sort of structure where you stagger uh, receivables to your own creditors or clients is, is also a type of a Ponzi scheme. So that's why um, the minute you saw a symptom like that, um, a trained eye like myself or any other uh, experienced attorney would know that something's wrong. And that that's what then triggered the lawsuit in Chicago by one of uh, Girardi's co-counsel that had joint clients. Uh, and it also triggered the contempt proceedings in Chicago, which then uh, once that occurred, I knew he would have no explanation other than to take the fifth, meaning he would feel like his explanations would incriminate himself or um, he would take this surprising turn and claim he has dementia and you know now it's metamorphosized into he needs a conservator by his brother who's a 61 year old dentist so what's happening now is so Tom has Tom not responded to any of this is that true he hasn't shown up yes. to any of the uh, except the contempt proceedings he did respond to the contempt in the sense that he showed up with his lawyer who indicated she didn't, um, she couldn't communicate with him. And so now he, at one point, including like up until extremely recently, he was trying to say, or his counsel or family was trying to say that he didn't have the mental capacity. He'd lost his short-term memory, which funny how that works out, um, which the judge did not respond to well. Is that in fact the case? Yeah, he his brother made what we call a legal Hail Mary. By the way, I misspoke. His brother's 77, not 61. I, I well, misspoke. I'm sure he appreciates being 61 for however many yeah. minutes that yeah, lasts. So I'm not gonna him. get sued for defamation by making him younger. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about that. So um yeah, he basically his brother tried to file a request for an extension to respond to the involuntary bankruptcy petition that was filed because the judge had ordered an interim trustee. But when the judge saw that he was going to claim that his brother needed a conservatorship, that was so outrageous, so ridiculous. If under in the context of um, 
I, I spoke with reporters yesterday that's, that had called Girardi yesterday um, in response to my tweet, and he was in the middle of a mediation. And I have video of Girardi within the last two months doing an interview, and then I have divorce petitions signed and affidavits signed in other cases within the last three weeks. So if you ask me, do I believe for a second that this is a viable defense or this is going to work. I don't. And it's not a viable defense, but it's a sign of desperation. I mean, it's creative. I'll give him that. Um, I mean, he is 81, but the, to suggest that he looted $50 million or so, but it's all because of a mental defect is preposterous. And how much money is it? $50 million in total that he's essentially stolen or, and or well, mishandled? It's more well, than that, I, right? Or- well, it's like I've, I counted $35 million of creditors, but there's other assets that he allegedly had that he says he doesn't have anymore. So I don't know. It, I, I mean, he's looted his estate of, of, of at least $50 million, but I have $35 million of people he owes money to, and a lot of them are clients. Um, I mean, it's an incredible, staggering sum. I don't know of any lawyer in Southern California history that's defrauded his clients for more money than this. It's a staggering sum, and, and it's many clients because of the nature of his practice, which is class actions. Are these people ever going to get their money back, and where would that money come from? Well, it could only come from the firm share of the profit on incoming cases like the Southern California gas explosion cases. Right. The problem, and I, I reported on this, is it appears he's leveraged those cases already with, and, you know, $10 million loans. And that gas case, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was the potential that Tom's clients themselves could get back as much as like a billion dollars or something. But that's if they win. That's if it's settled in that way. And then the question becomes, I mean, was this what he was, did this case like fall into his lap? How many years had he been working on it? Was his completely insane or whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, was his warped thinking that this will all work out because I have this, you know, like big kahuna style case looming. And just as long as I win that, I'll be able to settle, you know, the years of deception. Well, I can't get into someone's mind, but I can right. tell you that, that every fraudster I've ever represented or sued um, has the same sort of philosophy. Um, everyone's heard the expression, you rob from Peter to pay Paul. Right. It, it's the same uh, philosophy. He figured, okay, I've leveraged everything, but my, when I get my next settlement, I'll pay all those people back. But what we call it, uh, eventually the music stops and you can't keep this house of cards propped up any longer. I mean, eventually the new settlements don't allow you to pay the old creditors. So that's what finally happened. I mean, sometimes it, I mean, Madoff did it for years and years and years. He, Girardi has done this shell game apparently for at least five or six, seven years. Do you think <coughs> it began after Erica joined the Real Housewives? And if so, or regardless of your answer to that, do you think that some of the pressure of her being on the Housewives and presenting herself of a, as a woman of extreme wealth added pressure to Tom to keep up the mirage? Or would this have happened regardless? Yes, I think that these shows, um, the, the, the problem with these shows is they rely on the, on the 
human characters to create the content. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's natural that these are all successful, competitive people, maybe not as successful as they lead on, but they um, they all try to outdo each other, you know, and then they, they, they get the juice of the TV. I mean, my good friend, Gloria Allred, who I respect a lot, she there's not, you know, there's not a microphone that she hasn't liked to be in front of because she likes it. You know, I mean, a lot of lawyers and a lot of people like being in front of microphones. You know what I'm saying? And so they, that's where they're, they shine. A lot of people like press coverage. So when there's a, a, a reality show that's all about you and people are talking about you, some people actually believe that it validates their existence. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, why you'd want to publicize your life like that. Um, and, and not have some amount of anonymity. And, and if you really were that successful, and I represent very wealthy people, the last thing a truly wealthy pe person does is flaunt that on, 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 a, on television. It's very tone deaf at this day and age when we have uh, hundreds of thousands of people dying and millions sick to, um, to uh put this, you know, out there like that. But, you know, there's a difference between entertainment and cultural insensitivity and then using that entertainment to try to justify uh, a grotesque theft of your of, of your fiduciaries. And yet many people can look at joining a reality TV show as an investment because, as you you know, it can be a marketing tool. It can be an expression for, you know, a client comes in or they hear the name Tom Girardi. Maybe they've heard it from Aaron Brockovich, but more likely as of late, they've heard it from watching his wife with her, you know, Panther Cartier ring trot around Beverly Hills. I mean, there. Yeah, is, you're right. I mean, uh, some people is, is an indication of success and want to be I mean, a part that's... of it. It's a little strange in my world because, you know, I drive an electric car, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know why you'd want your clients to think you're driving around or why you're, you're flushing money, because then they're going to think you're going to pass on that lifestyle to them. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Everyone has their own way of doing things, but lawyers are generally conservative. And I don't think it's a good business model to be a flashy lawyer. I think that it's good to be articulate, well-read and aggressive um, and represent your clients. But I don't think it's good to floss uh, the economic success you may or may not have because you won some big personal injury cases. I, I don't think that's a good strategy in the long run. And it certainly didn't work for him here because he, was, he uh, came up with an inability to feed his lifestyle. Yeah, it feels like some people look at it as like the trickle down economy, which, you know, you're looking at someone, you're, you know, Susie Q watching TV and you're watching this person and maybe you have a case or maybe you don't. You're watching this person flaunt their enormous wealth and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, if I hire that person to work with me, to work for me, to represent me, maybe I will be able to access a small amount of the wealth that they seemingly have because I'm watching it, you know, every Tuesday at nine or whatever time Beverly Hills comes on. You know, it's the idea that one day maybe some of this will be mine because surely this is real, not only because I'm watching it on television, but it's been co-signed by a network 
and an idea of this show of of being, you know, filled with certainly in Beverly Hills, where, as you said, most of these women don't actually live there, but filled with women who have the kinds of wealth that we're seeing on their hands, in their hair, around their necks, you know, in the shoes that they wear, the dresses that they wear. So watching that combust is in real time has been really fascinating. And as you've said, we're at a different time as a culture right now dealing with civil unrest, a global pandemic, insane, you know, um, uh, financial pressure um, on so many of us. And to watch this play out, it does feel there is a little bit of an element of like, not revenge, but, and I don't think karma is the right word either, but it is the punchline to a joke that we didn't necessarily see coming but one that has led to like more than a couple chuckles you know because this is a couple that on television I mean Erica Jane Erica Jane Erica Girardi has always presented herself as a woman who like don't hide from reality you've got to show yourself I'm showing exactly who I am so for this to happen to someone who comes off as a little bit cold but has been able to market herself as like, I'm really myself. This is me is so wildly hilarious to so many Bravo viewers watching. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think that, uh, that the viewers um, are upset that um, she would tacitly or directly or aid in a bet this lifestyle. I mean, it's highly doubtful that she was unaware of these issues because she's a named defendant in in some of these actions. And she's got to be made aware that um, there's litigation going on, uh, alleging defaults on numerous loans. And it's not going to be good enough that, you know, she's just going to blame it all on Tom and uh, and Tom is now basically taking himself out as a witness because he's uh, publicly filing that he has no mental capacity. I mean, it's a I've never seen anything like it, to be honest with you, uh, to be direct with you. It's I've never seen a lawyer with his skill set and acumen um, take an entire career in a lucrative practice and turn it into this. I mean, he could have easily gotten dealt with this up front dealt with his cases up front had a a a trustee you know administer them no one no creditor could have taken those cases and done this in a more responsible manner he sort of abandoned all these people that have trusted him and he he really does deserve to be criminally charged with this And he's deserted them because he thinks that will help his case of saying like, oh, I don't even know what day it is or he's. Well, it's called the ostrich. Sometimes people have an ostrich defense. You know, they they stick their head in the sand and they figure it'll all go away. I mean, uh, when I used to do a lot of um, narcotics cases, you know, in a different lifetime and 15, 20 years ago, when I would tell the the defendants, hey, this is your exposure. They would sometimes just stare off into space and, you know, realize why was I driving with five pounds of this substance that now I could look at 10 to 20 years in prison. I mean, a lot of people get like that when you confront them with their conduct and 
it, they then have they then realize the game is over. I mean, a, a lot this it's a it's a a phenomenon. But what it always is amazing to me with fraudsters is why don't they ever try to pay the people back? I mean, he has an office building and a big house. He would get a lot more traction if he started trying to fix this problem rather than create you know, groundless defenses that are never going to save him in the long run. And what's Erica's exposure in this? What's Erica's exposure in this? And also, do you think that's why, you know, there was even a filing for divorce? Do you think it was because their marriage was falling apart? Or do you think it was because they were looking at it as a potential, you know, tactic to use in their defense or or to separate her for some of this? I think... She just probably realized that she's got problems and needed to get out of uh, get out of this and try to save whatever separate property. A lot of times with a spouse realizes the other spouse has totally uh, fractured their community assets. They try to get a severance of those assets and um, basically uh, try to get a settlement that would protect them from creditors. It's not going to work in this case. It would be a fraudulent conveyance. And uh, it, unfortunately, there, there's no separate property that she'll be able to capture that would be le- a legitimate disillusion that would protect her. Um, I think she's going to get become insolvent as a result of this. And what happens to all of her pretty shoes and her diamonds and whatever else and her glass? I think I think eventually the other creditors will put her into bankruptcy and it'll all be sold, hopefully for nostalgic purposes, and they'll be able to start getting some money together from all that I think eventually she'll be stripped of every penny, except for what we call the federal exemptions. And what happens to the money that she's making, like literally right now? So she and she's on production for Beverly Hills. It's filming. Where does that? Money I mean, that, go? that money is new money. Okay. She could probably keep her, any earnings that she makes now. But, you know, if there's a judgment against her in the future, then that could be attached. But I, I mean, for now, any new earnings after this bankruptcy is filed, she'd get to keep. And, you know, Erica is someone who, as a joke, she might say, or as like real truth has said on the show before, she spends, you know, forty or $50,000 a month on glam. Is she even legally allowed to spend money right now to, to keep up appearances on the show that's currently filming? Not, not if it's connected to the estate or um, connected to uh, stolen. There, there was an asset freeze. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I don't think she's doing that uh, right now. I think that 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 would be a very foolish thing to do because it, there's no one. She probably needs all the finances and resources mm-hmm. that she can muster. I mean, there's going to be no income at all. So I think that the glam squad is out of business. And. For Erica, how is this? How is she able to talk about this in any way on the show since they're in production? And is there any concern that she's going to be able to use the show to shift her narrative into like she's a victim of this, just like you know the actual families of the plane crash victims whose money has been stolen? Well, there's no ethics test in a reality show. I think mm-hmm. it's whatever is going to get the most viewers. But there's is what no, they'll decide. You don't think that is there any concern that in the public eye, when it comes to actual potential criminal charges about the access that she has being on a reality TV show to shift personal opinion or public opinion more in her direction? 
does that have any effect into um, how people may be talking about the case when it comes to actually talking about it within the structure of the legal system? Or is that just a little added benefit and bonus to her to combat whatever's coming? I mean, I don't think anybody is going to watch that show as a defense to criminal charges. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's really going to matter. It, it just may, they may, she may not want to go there. I mean, I think that would be more the likely is they're not going to want to talk about the pending civil cases specifically, but maybe that she may say, you know, there's been a complete breakdown of ethics and other things. It's so hard to tell until you get to that position. I, I can't tell. And it seems fairly likely that Tom will be disbarred. One would think that's kind of like an inevitability at this point. And also there could be criminal charges um, presented against him that may land him in a country house he's unaccustomed to, uh, perhaps smaller quarters. Is there the possibility that Erica will have to deal with like the idea that she might go to jail or serve time from this depending on her potential role uh it's hard to say um right now because the the, the trustee will will start seeing if there's been large transfers mm -hmm. to her if that's the case she's going to have a lot of problems if there isn't any large transfers to her then you know i think criminal charges are going to be less likely but civil, it's not going to help her civilly. As far as he's concerned, I would be, I, I'd be willing to wager that there's going to be criminal charges. And and all of the, their assets together, I mean, I don't know who technically owns. Oh, does he not even own the house? No, he owns it. He's owned it oh, since the 70s, since okay. the 70s. So, and all of that is essentially now gone? Like, at what point? No, he still owns it. But at what point does that turn into being an asset that's used to pay off some of this? Well, you, the, the trustee, it's under the bankruptcy estate now because there was a permanent Chapter 7 uh, issued yesterday. Okay. Um, so the uh, the trustee own, is, is in charge of it. It's part of the bankruptcy estate. He'll probably sell it and pay off the secured lien holders, and then the equity will go into the bankruptcy estate. And just to ask, you know, for the victims of this, people who have obviously already been an enormous amount of trauma received, you know, by the court system X amount of dollars as a settlement and now found that that money has disappeared. What's the likelihood that they will receive that money back and how much of it? I mean, it doesn't look likely that they're going to get a lot of it back because of the fact that I didn't know until I kept investigating that he's le already leveraged the, the pipeline of remaining income, which is a huge problem. And you yourself were involved with someone who had appeared on Beverly Hills by representing at one point Russell Armstrong. You're now watching um, and reporting on the Girardi case. Does that, has that changed at all your opinion of the importance and impact of these kinds of reality TV shows just in watching, you know, what can go wrong and how the power of being on reality TV sometimes can act as a little bit of, um, I mean, it can really handcuff you to the idea of a lie that you're trying to sell, you know? 
Well, I think that if you put yourself out there as a public figure, there may be people in the public that are going to call you on it and you need to be ready to deal with that scruple, you know, in that, in that investigation. Um, but I don't, I'm, there's nothing wrong with reality TV in the sense that it's entertaining for people. And, um, but that, but it is, it's called reality TV and not fake TV. So people need to be prepared that, if you have a professional practice and, and you're doing these things that there may be someone that's going to do some public research into you and realize that what you're doing is not okay. And it needs to be stopped and needs to be uh, simplified and repackaged. So the average busy person could download that information and have a discussion about it and then possibly not have it happen to someone else who may be similarly experiencing another lawyer somewhere else or another fiduciary not giving them the right information. And they may say, hey, you know, I read about this online with Girardi. This doesn't sound right to me either. And they can use that knowledge to prevent a future crime or fraud. So there's another uh, therapeutic benefit to all of this and that it educates people on what fiduciaries or lawyers should not be doing. Absolutely. Um, and I know that my dad will get a kick out of this conversation. He's a, a longtime um, litigator in Rhode Island. So um, I haven't asked him about the Girardi case because he has literally no idea <laughs> about any of these people involved. But it is I'm sure it is um, wild to, you know, be in your position, having spoken out, you know, been in practice for so long and, and spoken about different cases on the news to now be following this and, you know, in a position where you're really helping lead the conversation, I think it's, you know, really appreciated by a lot of people in the Bravo community who are um, looking for real information because the reality behind Erica's life on reality TV is that it is incredibly likely we're not going to get any truth out of um, because of, you know, whatever her uh, team is, um, you know, uh, counseling her with or because she just refuses to. So it's important to have the ability to access this information and understand, um, you know, the grave consequences and the, the reality of this situation currently. And I'm curious to see, you know, what will happen next. Do you have a timeline of how long do you think this is going to take before there is, you know, at some point, some sort of resolution, albeit not necessarily, uh, the justice people are looking for? Well, there's a lot of transfers. It's going to take, um, it's going to take uh, time. Uh, uh, it's going to take time for them to go through um, the numerous financial transactions that have occurred. Um, he's been, they've been ordered to fill out comprehensive schedules. If they don't, then, then the trustees will move to hold them in contempt of court, both Tom and possibly Erica, if she doesn't fill out the community property portions of it. Um, and they'll take exams to try to get this information. So a lot's going to happen in the next few weeks, but to actually go through the accounting is going to take six months. Wow. 
Well, I would love to have you back on Andy Scrolls to get your thoughts, you know, when we have the next series of news. And in the meantime, I highly encourage people to follow you on Twitter because you're constantly giving updates and you're able to kind of translate the legal for so many of us um, in the public who aren't necessarily aware of, you know, the necessary summary that we need of what's going on to kind of translate that for many of us. So what is your Twitter handle so that um, listeners can follow you and get kind of updates in the case? Oh, simple at Ronald Richards. There we go. At Ronald Richards. Well, thank you so much for coming on Andy's Girls. I really appreciate it. This was um, a little bit of a Legally Blonde with Brunette Roots moment for uh, myself and some of the people at home. So I really, really appreciate it. And um, I guess we'll all just stay tuned on whatever happens next. I mean, some lessons to be learned for all of us about the power and implications of, you know, giving yourself uh, a platform like the one that Tom and Erica, you know, loved to have for so many years until it all kind of went away or all went wrong. It certainly hasn't gone away. But um, that kind of role means a lot of public attention. So they liked it before. Unfortunately, there are, you know, even more eyes on them now. So I guess we'll all just wait to see what happens in the months ahead. Um, but thank you so much, Ronald Richards. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Well, I found, um, Ronald's thoughts incredibly interesting. Um, it turns out I could talk about Erica and Tom Girardi all day long. Uh, so I'm curious to see how the case slash cases will, um, play out and I'm excited to have Ronald back, um, hopefully in the next couple months when we have a little more information and updates. Uh, thank you to Tracy and Ronald for joining AG this week, episode 195. Guys, don't forget to send me your small business satchels. And just a shout out to um, all of the AGs who support Andy's Girls and myself. Thanks to all of you for tuning in every week. You know, I know that there are people who are listening to Andy's Girls who may, may not, I mean, I usually hear from you if you don't, but um, who may not agree with our opinions and perspectives. And that's the glory of having these kinds of conversations. And also, you know, I'm always interested to hear from AGs who are listening to older episodes in the archives. And the hope for me, the best case scenario is that hopefully my opinions about these women, their behavior have changed with time as I get new information and as I, you know, grow and evolve and change myself as a person. So um, I'm really appreciative, uh, you know, for being a part of this conversation, which will continue hopefully, hopefully for a long time to come. And thanks to those who support the Patreon, because you're really kind of ensuring that the uh, train stays on the tracks. Um And I just want to also shout out any AGs who are living in the D.C. area. We're looking at maybe a pretty tough couple days just in terms of stress and concerns about safety. Um, I'm thinking of you. I'm sending you love. Here is hoping for a peaceful transition of power, um, a safe and peaceful inauguration. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Slide into my DMs. Let me know your thoughts and feels and I'll chat with you soon. Bye guys. Bye.